Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, April 11th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of Tommy Mack, Chicago Sun-Times writer Tom McNamee. We welcome back Illinois political news junkie Jake Lewis of the Chicago Federation of Labor. And we welcome Ben Jarofsky's newly elected 47th Ward Alderman, you better be nice, Matt Martin. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Turn the Page Thursday. Like, turn. Get it? That was clever. That was clever. Yeah, man. And here's why. Yes, indeed, Dr. D, today's the day I'm going to turn the page on Lincoln Yards and the 78. Those are the two mega TIF deals worth about $2.3 billion, B is a boy, billion of my property tax dollars. You know, City Council yesterday, in its infinite wisdom, in a lame duck se- session under a lame duck mayor, decided, you know what? They're going to approve those mega TIF deals. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm going to have to turn the page. I know, I know. I fought hard against them for months and months, it seems like, D. But you know what? What? City Council went in a different way. They listen to Mayor Rahm. They listen to me. They go, you know, we love, we're we going with Mayor Rahm on this one. So, you know, D, sometimes you just got to say, you can't win them all. Got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. No, no when to walk away, no when to run, as the great Kenny Rogers once great said. Great job not singing. <laughs> so, folks, I'm going to turn the page. Oh, yeah, here's the page. Just turned it. Got to turn the page. All right, move on to other things. Hold on here. Turn that page again one more time. Whoa, I'm turning the page. That is indeed a page he is turning. <sighs> but then I realized I just paid my property tax bill, folks. Oh, yeah, my property tax bill. Yeah. Tell you, D, my property tax bills up over 100 yeah, percent yeah, yeah. in the ROM years. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, okay, all right, over 100 percent. And I tell you, D, that they're essentially with these two TIF deals, they're going to make the land t- property tax exempt. That's right, everybody. Some of the most valuable real estate in the city of Chicago, where Lincoln Yards is going on the ne- near north side of Chicago, roughly at uh, Elston, the Chicago River, and where the 78 is at Roosevelt and Clark on the South Loop. Some of the most valuable land will now essentially be tax exempt. As far as the schools and the city and the county are concerned, yeah. That's because uh, the people who own that land will now essentially be paying their property taxes to develop their property. So they won't be contributing any property tax dollars, any new property tax dollars, to the common pot. No, no, no. They'll get to spend it on themselves. Wait, are we talking about pot? (laughs) 
Sorry, I wouldn't listen there. I uh, okay. The common pot, the common like a big pot where you put oh. ingredients in okay. that kind of pot. Right. All right, cool, cool. All right. I'd use the other kind of pot when I'm done paying my property tax bill. Although after I'm done paying my property tax bill, there's no money left to buy some. Pot. I got a guy. I got a guy. He'll okay, he'll hook you up. Anyway. So they're not going to contribute the, their money to the common pot. No, 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 no. They get to spend it on themselves. Meanwhile, my tax bill goes up, 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 up. But I'm going to turn the page. Here we go, D. Turning that page. Yeah, All I right? See I see it. I'm turning the page. Don't lose your notes. <laughs> turn the page. Isn't there a song, Turn the Page? Yeah, yeah. Bob Seger, right? I, yeah. I'm not going to sing it, though. Thank you. Anyway... They say they're going to contribute those property tax dollars uh, to improving their land so that eventually, 23, 23 years down the road, 23 years down the road, their land will be contributing money to the common pot. All right? But not until they improve it. Not until they first spend the property tax dollars on their land to improve it. All right? Hmm. Fair enough. Hey, Mr. Mayor and City Council, I got an offer. I'm not going to pay my property taxes for 23 years. Instead, I'm going to spend the money building a new garage. Or I think I may put an addition to the back porch. How about that? Put a little patio. No, one of those little swimming pools, you know, like those little weirdo embedded swimming pool things, you know? Yeah. And then, in, and then in 23 years, my land will be worth more money and it will contribute more. So, but for the next 23 years, let everybody else just pick up the slack. How about that, huh? Yeah, I'm sure Mayor Rahm and the city council will let me get with get away with that. But you know what, folks? I'm turning the page, D. Here it is. Oh, turn the page, yeah. okay? All right. All right? Yeah. Turn the page, man. I moved on, all right? Sort of turning the page. Yeah, and then I remembered I was talking to a fellow reporter today. We we're talking about the deal, as reporters are apt to do. Uh, and I uh, remembered that $25 million of the Lincoln Yard deal, $25 million of my property tax dollars, of your property tax dollars, are going to pay their lawyers and flax. How about that, D? $25 million. How is that improving Chicago? I mean, come on. Can't they pay for their own lawyers and flax? What, don't you think they should just say as a good gesture? You know what, guys? We realize we just got uh, $1.3 billion Lincoln Yards. We got $1.3 billion. Tell you what we're going to do. Because we're good guys. We'll pick up the fees for our lawyers and flax. Flax. Uh-uh. They're going to have the property taxpayers pay that $25 million. But, D, I'm just going to turn the page. Okay, here we go. I'm turning the page on it, putting it behind me. Now you say you are. But... Yeah, but then this morning, drove through a pothole in Lincoln Avenue about as big as a Buick. All right? So let me get this straight. There's money for the lawyers and flax for the big-time mega developers who are developing Lincoln Yards. But there's no money to fix the potholes. All right, D? Yeah, man, I'm going to turn the page. Then I saw this headline, great headline in the Sun-Times, folks. Here's that headline. Wait and switch. Wait and switch. Very clever. It is very clever. Uh, Bait and switch? Wait and switch. They're talking about, it's a headline that talks about the story where Lori Lightfoot all of a sudden at the late hour decided, yeah, maybe it's a good idea not to oppose this deal. A lot of powerful people on the other side of that one. So after saying, well, we're going to give 48 hours to find some meaningful changes, she kind of says, yeah, you know, I think I'll throw in the towel on this deal and, uh, you know, put it off, put off the fight for you uh, taxpayers to another day. Wait 
and switch. Yes, yes, indeed. Lori, by the way, is off in Springfield, which is um, a picture of her in the front page of the Tribune, shaking hands with J.B. Prince. Hanging with the big feller. So she's doing her thing. Rom's heading off to Italy, apparently. I read that in the Sun-Times today. He's going on vacation. Meanwhile, the rest of us chumps are facing a big-time property tax bill. But folks, I'm going to turn the page. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. Tommy Mack, Tom Mack, me, editorial board editor of the Chicago Sun-Times. He's gonna, he probably had as much to do with electing Lori Lightfoot as anybody named, not named Rob Martwick or Tony Preckwinkle. We'll talk to him about uh, his editorial. And he, he wants to talk Julian Assange. So we'll see what he has to say about that. And the weaponization of the First Amendment by the right. A topic that Tom McNamee and I cannot stop talking about. So lots of uh, journalistic and political talk with Tom McNamee. And then at 2 o'clock, one of the biggest political geeks the world has ever seen, Jake Lewis. The guy knows more about politics than anyone not named Ben Jarofsky, all right? And uh, he'll be in the studio talking politics, politics, politics. And at 2.30, the newly elected alderman of the 47th Ward, Matt Martin, will be sitting right here in that chair. Talking more politics, politics, politics. In other words, D, a lot of political discussion on the Ben Jarofsky show. But first, hold on. Got it. Turn the page. <laughs> that is good stuff. That is good stuff. Hey, man, come on. Anyway, before we do any of that political talk and before we turn the page, we got to go to Dr. D with the news. I mean, this is political talk, too, but hey, how's it going? My name's Dennis. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Yeah, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was forcibly removed by authorities from the Ecuadorian embassy in London and has been charged with helping the former Army intelligence specialist Chelsea Manning access Defense Department computers in 2010. Mm -hmm. In an effort to disclose secret government documents, the U.S. Justice Department announced Thursday morning. Our president was asked about Assange and Trump, who is singing a different tune these days when yeah. it comes to WikiLeaks. So remember in 2016, oh, he loved WikiLeaks. He sure did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I thought he was going to throw Assange a party. But today, Trump said, quote, I know nothing about WikiLeaks. <laughs> it's not my thing. He actually said that? Not his thing. Well, something's changed, folks. Now, could it be the fact that he was exonerated by, uh, well, quote, unquote, I have that in, uh, in quotes, by the way, or air quotes on exonerated by, uh, by Barr, uh, Attorney General William Barr on the uh, Mueller report. Now, so, all right, I don't uh, I don't need Assange anymore. I'm going to throw him to the wolves. You know, I remember I was predicting, I was like, you know, the day will come. He's so, uh, he's moving so far to the right that he's going to circle the globe and end up being on the left and championing uh, Assange. Uh, and uh, But now uh, it would be interesting to see what Tom McNamee has to say about this. I haven't quite absorbed this one yet. This is coming at me kind of fast. Maybe bring in Jim Coogan to discuss this as well. Oh. Uh, you know, what is this all about? All of a sudden they're throwing a book at uh, Assange. And how about the Ecuadorians? Man, they threw that guy under a bus. He, they'd given him a shelter at their embassy in London. Get under that bus. I get it. You eat too much. You're too messy. You never make your bed. Anyway, they kicked him out of the embassy and they're... Got to send them back to face uh, five years, I think it is, in, in a potential five-year prison sentence. 
By the way, live streamers, what's going on? Pat Rod, Michael, uh, or Mitch, I don't know what your name is, but hey, thanks for uh, listening along here. Uh, feel free to weigh in if you're listening live. Join the live stream chat. All right. Boy, our President Donald Trump was pumped this morning, Ben. And this has nothing to do with Julian Assange, by the way. This is a news story. Mm. And I'm sure this could happen to all of us. Yeah. I'm sure this could happen, all right? President Trump saw a poll Wednesday on his favorite channel. <laughs> no one else's, Fox News. <laughs> The poll supposedly showed yeah. him with a 55% overall mm. approval waiting, wow. uh, rating. Uh, his tweet to brag about it this morning was a simple one. It said, <laughs> Great news. <laughs> Hashtag MAGA. <laughs> that was it. That's all it said. And the screenshot of his 55% approval rating was posted below. Yeah, just one little problem. And hey, what do you know? Fox News got it wrong. Oh, no. Whoa, <laughs> that never happens. That, yeah. Never happens. I hate when that happens. Uh, turn yeah. the page, Fox. Yeah. <laughs> turn the page. Hold on, Dave. Been, oh, there hey, we go. I thank you. It. Thank you. Uh, Trump actually had a disapproval rating oh, of 55% no. <laughs> in that poll oh, conducted by the Georgetown Institute of Politics and Public Service. Uh, yeah, so while he shakes that off, Donald Trump is meeting with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Here. Is that afternoon uh-huh. yeah they're having a working lunch they're oh. calling it a working okay. lunch no time to waste here we're working and eating today all right we got to uh, figure out a plan here yeah. uh because yesterday north korean leader kim jong-un mm-hmm. vowed to deliver a serious blow mm-hmm. to hostile countries he accused of using sanctions to bring the regime quote to its knees yeah they had the meeting here and when asked if trump would consider lifting sanctions donald trump said quote a lot of trump quotes here today no they want <laughs> sanctions to remain in place. Yeah, he's kind of all over the map with North Korea. Remember, he had the uh, the summit. They were going to cut the deal, and it didn't work out too well. And uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump has this, this bizarre uh, empathy for Kim Jong Un. And uh, so today, he's had. He's like me. You, you know what was the issue? Oh, in the governor's race. Remember, I was like a flag flapping in the breeze. One day I was for Biss. The next day I was for Bobby Diber. Oh yeah, big weirdo you were there. I should have voted for Diber. You were right on Diber, by the way. Uh, Bob Diber, the downstate Democrat, should have voted for him. Anyway, that's a, a, a minor regret that I have, uh, Dennis. Anyway, but uh, Donald Trump is the same way, apparently, uh, about the North Korean dictator. So, yeah, he's all over the map. By the way, 50, Fox, anybody can make a mistake. I've been known to make mistakes from time to time, okay? You no, know? no, uh, never, yeah, never. Me, you know, that, that, that dyslexia kicks in, all right? So, uh, But it's hard to make a mistake on 55. I can see dyslexia, like, if it's 45 and you make it 54. But 55 is 55 no matter what you do. So you can't reverse it. Think about that, D. Huh? Take the bong out and think about it, young man. 55. You can't reverse the five and the five. It's still 55. So I don't know, man. I think it was just wishful thinking in the part of Fox. Oh, Dave jumped on the uh, YouTube uh, live chat. What's going on, Dave? Doing good? All right, cool. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. We also have uh, some 2020 Democratic POTUS candidate updates to talk about. I love that stuff. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later on in the program because, Benny J, it is that time. Yeah. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. Love that answer. Always a fantastic answer, especially at this time, because coming up after these short words from our host, Ben Jarofsky, we are going to find out what else is news. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. It's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. At Chicago and Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago and Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. 
Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, Chicago Land Cremation Options. Com. Oh, thanks, Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, <laughs> live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Just got a text from Jake Lewis. Says he's on his way. Oh, I All love right. it when my guests are on their way. Two All o'clock right. guest, Jake Lewis. Don't miss it, guys. It's going to be fantastic. Hold on. This hair, Let's hear it. This is... That's Jake and his Mustang. He's driving. This is great podcast material here. <laughs> Folks, you can't see it at all, but Ben had a Hot Wheel. He was running against his hand. Hold on, D. Got to turn the page on Lincoln Yards, all right? right? right. Got to turn the page. What was once a good bit is getting a little old. But <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever. Hold on. Oh. Moving on, all right? You hear that? He's turning the page, listeners. That was backwards turning oh, the page. Oh, turning this the is, page backwards. Listen to this. This is forwards, and this is backwards. Oh, I wish, we could, wish we could turn the page backwards <laughs> on this little segment here. All right, everybody. We're about to find out what's mm-hmm. going on locally. It's time for what else is news. They like him. They really like him. <laughs> Our soon-to-be former mayor, Rahm Emanuel, received some praise from his colleagues Wednesday during his final city council meeting. Oh, boy. More on that in a moment. But first, uh-huh. Lori goes to Springfield. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our Chicago, Chicago, baby. Our Chicago mayor-elect traveled downstate to our capital today. And like every trip that I take downstate, wasn't too eventful. No, not at all. Really uh, seemed like more of a PR meet and greet. Uh, Lightfoot spoke to House lawmakers about unity, hung out with the big feller, Governor J.B. Pritzker, and took a bunch of pictures. But there was one certain person hanging out in Springfield that people were anxious to see our mayor-elect interact with. Well, because uh, the last time this happened. Did you call Fritz Kagi before you dropped the bill? Or I you actually, only, did I, you only call him after? So we're going to have a debate here. Right. You well, asked me to have a debate? You know, Lori, this, this sort of, this sort of Trump style uh, where you're trying to draw attention to yourself without assessing the facts of a situation shows exactly why you are you wholly are, unprepared you're a Joe to be Berrio, the mayor of the city of you're Chicago. You're Joe Berrio surrogate. <laughs> I tell you, Lori showed some stuff in there. That was, of course, uh, her encounter with State Representative Rob yep. Markwick. Yep. Rob Markwick. Who, who will be on the show uh, in a week, right, young mm-hmm. man? Yep, yeah, yep, he'll yep. be on show next week. Yeah, that's Illinois uh, rep there, Rob Markwick. We're happy to report that all went well this time around. The two shook hands and had a brief conversation. Here's the quote from Markwick. Quote, it was a good opportunity to say hello in a peaceable setting. <laughs> I'd agree. Yeah. And as for what the two discussed, quote, I told her that despite our past incident, that I hope we could put politics behind us and work on policy. Oh, okay. Wow. Does it say what Lightfoot said at all? Anything for quotes? Okay. Because actually, Rob Martwick, as you know, you probably uh, helped Lori Lightfoot at that campaign appearance. Let me take you back in time, everybody. We're in the uh, time capsule. It was, I forget when, in January, I want to say. I can't remember when it was, but it was during the first round. And uh, Lori Lightfoot was holding a press conference, and State Representative Rob Markwick showed up unannounced. He had endorsed Tony Preckwinkle, so he invaded, he crashed, if you will, her press conference. He stood up and confronted her uh, about a bill that he had proposed. uh, I think it was going to abolish the Cook County Assessor's Office. He's doing this from memory, D, not bad. Uh, And she was calling the press conference to denounce the bill. 
and uh, he shouldn't have if uh, shown up for that press conference. If I was advising him, he would never have shown up for the press conference. Of course, nobody would ever have me as their political advisor, but be that as it may, he showed up, and the image of him uh, standing over her with his red face, uh, being angry at her while she defied him, I think really resonated with voters. I happen to um, like Rob Bartwick a lot. He's got, again, he's been a frequent guest on the show. He'll be on next week. He's, he really understands uh, state finances. Uh, but uh, that particular moment, if he was there to help Tony Preckwinkle, I think even Rob will admit it helped Lori. So if I'm Lori, I'm like, Rob, I love you, man. Come on. Come on, bring it in. Bring it in, big guy. I only say this about Lori Lightfoot. She showed uh, she showed a lot of resilience when she when she battled uh, Mark, when she stood up to him. I think it impressed a lot of people. And it gave a sense that she was uh, tough and that she wouldn't back off. Wish I could have seen a little of that with those Lincoln Yards people yesterday, huh? Just <laughs> oh man, you should have what you should have done, Lori, is put Rob Markwick's head on Sterling Bay's body, and then you've been like, hey, listen here, Lincoln Yards, not one time. But wait a minute, D. I'm gonna turn the page. Yeah. All right. And that's what uh, Lightfoot and Markwick did there. <laughs> they turned the page. Yeah, they turned the page, all right. Okay, people. There was laughter. There were tears. <laughs> And hearts were touched. Oh, God. Wednesday was Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's. Yeah. Oh, and uh, someone on the uh, live stream chat said, can you please say the phrase Rahm's final city council meeting again? Because I just <laughs> love the sound of it. Well, here you go. It was Rahm Emanuel's final city council meeting. And Rahm took the, to the podium to give uh, one last triumphant speech. And listeners... If you're still wondering why Mayor Rahm dropped out of that 2019 mayoral election, I think you'll understand a little more after this. I don't think this would have uh, gone the same way if he stayed in the race and got whooped in the election like everyone projected, you know what I mean? The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woman Spielman. Inside the city council chambers, there was a deep appreciation and love for a mayor who may someday be better appreciated than he is today. The city council paid emotional tribute to the retiring mayor, and Emmanuel choked back his own tears in return for two hours allies and adversaries praised a mayor who came in like a lion with (laughs) fran spielman's words no No, it is funny though it's like a lion came in like a lion l-i-o-n by the way Uh with a reputation built in washington for profanity and hardball politics and left as their devoted friend i have quotes from a few city council members yesterday here's alderman walter burnett bim pop quiz what ward is burnett come on come on d He's the pride and joy of Cabrini Green, grew, born and raised in Cabrini Green. It's 27th Ward. It used to be structured around Cabrini Green, but it's moved further west. So he's more of a west side alderman, not a north side alderman. 27th Ward. Tom McNamee in the studio. He's impressed. Tom McNamee's like, God dang, this oh, kid. Oh, what stuff. a dork. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> McNamee's like, this guy's even a bigger dork than I am. <laughs> All right, go ahead. 27th, 27th Ward. 27th Ward. Aside from calling him a hustler in a good way, a, a nudger. <laughs> And his Hebrew homie. I like that one, his Hebrew homie. Yeah. Burnett, said about, <laughs> Burnett said about Mayor Rahm, quote, you've helped so many people, the next mayor is going to have some big shoes to fill. People don't want to recognize the stuff that you do. Yes, you know, this always happens when mayors leave. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of sentiment when Mayor Daly left. Tom, you remember that. Yeah, I've just brought Tom back to me in the studio. He's our 130 guest. Get in here and start talking anyway. <laughs> Put him to work. And by the way, some dishes over there. Can you clean those while you're doing the dishes anyway um there's no dishes but uh, no there's no dishes. that was just a bad joke anyway uh there's a tremendous amount of sentiment uh in the city council when a mayor leaves uh, we've sat through well tom you and i are the same age we yeah. sat through uh mayor 
uh, Washington, the, his death, tremendous sentiment uh, in that case. Uh, Eugene Sawyer, when he left, there was sentiment over him. Daly, people were crying, if you recall, when Daly left, uh, particularly his staffers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, and now Rom, the sentiment uh, about Rom. Yeah, are you feeling a little old anxiety as, as Rom takes off? What's that? I say, are you feeling sentimental about Rom? No, no, not sentimental. You know, if you look back on it, I think the lesson of these things is don't try to make the grand permanent historic assessment about any mayor until you take a breath and wait about three years, right? And that's the minimum. <laughs> and Rich Daly's a good example. You know, what we said and what people thought about Richie when he left was um, he did certain things really well. He, he uh, so much more than people thought he was, he tried to build bridges with minorities, which was unusual for a guy named Daly and a white mayor. He was working at that kind of stuff. He was really good on the cultural stuff in Chicago, you know, all those kinds of things, making Chicago, the idea that Chicago's not just uh, an old Rust Belt city, but it should have international ambitions, those kinds of things. What we didn't really talk enough about at the time he left was he left the city's finance an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you did, but you know, a lot of people didn't. I think yeah. I think it took a few years for people to yeah. understand just how much he had neglected that part of the equation. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, same thing, you know, but other people, I remember when Jane Byrne left, I don't think there were a whole lot of people who said, boy, she was terrific. We're going to miss her. I don't think that was the case when Janie learned. Well, I think people Jane, thought it was a revolving door disaster and it, was, it made sense that she was gone. There were some people... Uh, there was always some people who love a particular mayor yeah. for the just for the personality of the mayor. And Jane Byrne always had her diehard fans. Uh, I can picture many of them in my mind's eyes as I see them. They were very upset when she lost to Harold Washington in that primary. In those days, there were well, primaries. She was white and he was black. That was the biggest reason they were upset. They, well, no, they would was... have taken they would have taken anybody over Harold Washington. A lot of those folks. Uh, yes, but I'm talking about a different subset of the people who voted for Jane Byrne. I'm going to concede a point that there were some in fact who was it that was on this show oh it's Tracy Bain was on this show last week and we and she was talking Tracy Bain of course one of my many bosses publisher of the Chicago Reader for years and years she was uh, the editor of Windy City Times and she covered gay politics in Chicago Tom and what she was saying is that um, there was a strong affinity for Jane Byrne for many people in the gay community yeah and uh, I think that transcended why was that well, it's, uh, I'm going to try to paraphrase Tracy. Uh, it was almost like the Judy Garland thing. You know what I'm saying? Like the she was uh, <laughs> uh, she was just there was a woman that a lot of the people in uh, Boys Town really felt an association. She was a kinship. woman had a little bit of a dramatic spin to herself, right? Yeah, I, mean, I do Judy think Garland of, thing. And I think they also gave her credit as a woman, and not exactly this big tough-looking woman either, although she was tough. But I think they identify with that. This is a woman who's not a white male, yeah. right? So, you know, if she can do it, maybe we can. And, and the Janie thing. There was just something about Janie, you know, but you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, it, the politics were so racially charged in 1983, it's hard to separate uh, you know, the like for Jane Byrne in particular and the like just for a white person sitting right. in the fifth uh, floor. Uh, and uh, anyway, so that was uh, when Jane Byrne left. But I, I know there was just an outpouring of, well, obviously it's a different set of circumstances and there's a great picture on the wall here in the Sun-Times 
of when Harold Washington died of a man. I see it every time I walk down the hall, Tom. Uh, you know the picture I'm talking about? There's a photograph on yeah. the wall of a, of a man crying yeah. uh, at Harold Washington's yeah, It's funeral. kind of a long face, African-American yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, I see that all the time. It's a great photo. Yeah, and I think people felt truly, truly saddened by Harold. First of all, um, he managed to get elected a second time, so he proved all of those folks wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, he fought the council wars for four years, and then he managed to get elected, and then he had a little bit of a... Uh, a chance in the city council. He had, his own, he had his own coalition in the city council. And I think people really, a lot of people who didn't like him at first gave him credit for being so tough and sticking in there and not compromising, which is what Jane did do. Mm -hmm. She rolled over. He didn't. Well, I, uh, yes, she rolled over within about a week, not even a week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, did we interrupt you in your news? Oh, big time. <laughs> okay, sorry. That's about okay. That. That's okay. Uh, we're uh, playing, we're reading the quotes here from the Alderman after uh, Mayor Rahm's last city council speech here. Here's Alderman Anthony Beal. Uh, Anthony Beal, Ben, what word? Ninth. Come on, D. What Ninth a, Ward. What a dork. All right. Bill said, and Ben, I think he's talking to you here, yes, all right? He is. I'm sure Tom McNamee said the same thing to me earlier today. Go Beale ahead. Bill said it was unfair for people to label Emmanuel as, quote, Mayor 1% when I he has done that. so much for the South Side. Yeah, uh, I completely uh, disagree with Beal. Uh, Tom McNamee completely disagrees with me. Uh, that we're, But hey, we're in the same. Well, here's state. my question, Go. Ben. The question is not when you say you disagree. You disagree with his policies, or do you disagree with the thoughts running through his head? No. In other words, did he get up in the morning and say, "I don't give a goddamn about poor people and black people. I just want to make the rich richer," or did he get up in the morning and say, "I really do care about the West Side and South Side, but I think this is how you get it done. You build up downtown, things like that." In other words. Did you disagree with his policies, or did you honestly think the man himself consciously was trying to f work for the rich people and didn't care about the rest of the city? All right, that is a great question. And unlike, I'm now gonna show how you answer a direct question without ducking, dodging the question. Mm -hmm. And the answer is this, I don't know what goes on inside Mayor Rahm's mind. I don't know what goes on in anybody's mind. I don't know what motivates. People say, Ben, people have said this to me so many times because I've been critical of Mayor Rahm and I was critical of Mayor Daley. Oh, you hate Mayor Rahm. You hate Mayor, I'm always like, I don't hate anybody. Yeah, I'm just see, not a I hater. But so wait, let me just finish my, I, I think I know where you're going. Though. I don't hate them. I don't like their policies. I may despise their policies and that, is um, is what really motivates me in my journalism. Then I look at their explanations, Tom. Then I take a look at their explanations. Do their explanations make sense? Are their explanations logical? Yeah. If they want to achieve A, B, C, D, does it make sense that this is what they'll be doing? And that's where I'm like, you know what? It doesn't make sense. If you want to improve the West Side, spending $1.3 billion in Lincoln Yards at the corner of North and Elston and the near North Side, gentrifying an already gentrifying neighborhood, doesn't make sense. Well, actually, actually, what the mayor would, I'm not going to argue for the mayor. I'll just say this. When in doubt, I don't think there's much to be gained and a lot to be lost by questioning the fundamental integrity of someone's motives. And I think that happens too much in this city, and I think it happens all the time in this country. We have plenty of people whose motives are just abysmal, Donald Trump being the K exhibit A. Then we have a lot of people that I disagree with, like Governor Rauner. I didn't agree with anything he did. I didn't agree with his views on unions. 
Uh, I didn't agree with his uh, views on, you know, starving government and all those sorts of things he wanted to do, charter schools. But I'll tell you right now, I think Governor Rauner got up every day and from his point of view was doing the things he thought would help not just the rich guys he hung out with and grew up with up in the North Shore, but he honestly believed, having read many Ayn Rand books, <laughs> that this yeah. is how you bring prosperity yeah. to the most people. So, and that's really important to me, Ben, because it makes it easier to have an honest disagreement and conversation about the issues. If I were to simply do what I think happens all too often and just say, well, he's mayor 1% or he, or, you know, a runner just cares about the rich people. There's no more conversation. Then there's just conflict and aggravation and we can't, but if you don't, if we don't feel the need to question the actual integrity and the motivations of these folks that you may disagree with, I'm not speaking to you, but I'm talking in more generally, this is not directed specifically at you, then I think we get farther. And I think it's so important. All right, let me just put... Because uh, a big part of our country's problems right now is this inability to even respect that the other side may have decent intentions. Lots of them don't. Like, you know, there's, was, uh, you know, well, I won't. Anyway, lots of them don't, starting with Trump, but a lot of them do. Well, why do you draw a distinction between Donald John Trump, the president of the United States, and Bruce Rauner or Rahm Emanuel? Why? Because, because Trump gets up every day and makes clear what his motivations are. I mean, uh, you know, about what he cares about. People Making fun of people and their personalities and their disabilities and, and making fun of John McCain after he's dead. I mean, I think he's done a pretty good job of letting you know where he's coming from. I don't think Rahm has done that. I think you can disagree with his policies, but I think he can make an argument that his policies, for instance, downtown first, I've heard him say this and he believes this, that the engine of the state is the city and the engine of the city is downtown. And if you don't take care of downtown, you don't have a city. You can't have a donut. Now, you can disagree with that and say he's overly invested downtown, but I don't doubt that he means this is a policy that will help us all. All right, well, I'll tell you this to you. Donald Trump gets up every morning and says that we are having a chronic problem in this country because we t have too many illegal immigrants. Yeah. That's what he says, pouring over the border. He says this every morning. He says this to his immigrant Wait, wife. And, and, yes, his immigrant wife, who didn't have to pour over the border, got a deal, okay? So now you're going where I'm going. What you did, what you just did, is you took a look at the man's rhetoric and you compared it to the man's. Yeah, I think the uh, rhetoric, okay. I don't see and, the rhetoric that you see in Rom's case. I guess you 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 hear his rhetoric and you see someone who doesn't. I see. I, I'll repeat what I said. What I started saying. I see a policy that bears no resemblance to what he says his end goal is. So, if you, I hear you. You need a strong downtown. That does not mean we have to funnel 1.3 billion of, well, my property tax dollars, his property tax dollars, everybody who lives in the city of Chicago's property tax dollars into gentrifying an already gentrifying neighborhood. So I see, when I see that, I go, that does not, that does not hook up with this his supposed sincere desire to yeah. rebuild the West Side. Just as when Donald Trump says, I have to put a wall at the border. 
It does not hook up with anything. Yeah. So what I try to look at the logic and the consistency, uh, Tom, of whether what they say they want to achieve is yeah, matched I, I, by I what they I guess I wanted. just don't think that that that's uh, the way you presented is right. Lincoln Yards, we've argued, is has gone too rash, and we question the amount of the tips. But in general, I think the argument is that it does create jobs in the long run. It does create a tax base. That tax base is good for the entire city. I actually believe that now. Does that mean we should have given $1.6 billion in TIF money? No. I think right, but does that mean zero TIF money? Where do you draw the line? All right, here's what we do. Now Now we're ready to have a real conversation. Yeah. All right, and when you talk about But these, what I don't do, to yeah. go back to my point is, is I what I don't do is think the mayor is just throwing TIF money at rich people to make them rich, and he doesn't... I think he honestly thinks, believes, and I think there's a legitimate argument that Lincoln Yards has a has a benefit for the entire city. All right, now let's just Tax take, money has to come from somewhere. Let, let's, let's just put aside for the moment what's going on in Rom's brain. And just, okay, let's just put <laughs> that aside, God. all right? It's a scary thought. So let's just deal with the challenge that's, that's in front of us. And you said the purpose of this program is to build the tax base. And that is absolutely correct. That is the purpose of every TIF deal. You want to build the tax base. So first thing you have to do. Man, talking to you about TIFs is dangerous. Well, no, no one knows TIFs like you. All right, but I'm going to talk, that, but this is where we we leave honesty. This is like, if you want to get, this is what I'm saying. You want to look at the person, what they say they want to do and how they want to get there. So if you want to build the tax base, the first thing you have to do is tell the people of the city of Chicago, and you have to be open about it, and be honest about it. Folks, this is a 23-year investment that you, the property tax makers, are making on this deal. For 23 years, the most valuable land in the city of Chicago will be tax-exempt. We will not be drawing new taxes off it to feed our schools, to feed right. our cops, to feed our firefighters, to pay our pension obligations, to fix it. We're not going to get it. Yeah. But in 23 years, when that TIF disappears, all that money's going to flow in. So this is an investment that you are making right now. And I realize, yeah. I realize that you're going to pay a price for that, Ben and Dennis and everybody else who lives in the city of Chicago, because your property taxes are going to go up to pay for that. But they don't say that, Tom. They never say that. Not they the never say it. Well, they don't admit that the property taxes are going to go right. up. What they, so what they say is that we're investing in these communities because in the long run, and 23 years, is, you know, Rahm has been mayor for eight years. I feel like he just started. So, I mean, 23 years goes fast, too. I think the argument he's going to make is that, first of all, it doesn't generate money and property tax for 23 years, but it does create a hell of a lot of jobs, a lot of places for people to move in, create this whole city, and eventually, 23 years is not a lifetime it does create more property tax revenue. I think he'll say that. And also say, we think that rich guys will just do everything if you don't give them anything. And he'll say, that is a huge development that wouldn't have been done if we hadn't done something. I think the disagreement is not whether there was tip money or not tip money. The question is how much of a tip money. And I think that's where he went overboard. But I think the idea of developing Lincoln Yards, like the one on the south side, is absolutely defensible. The question is not whether TIF money should be used there or not there, it's how much. Well, I would uh, disagree. I agree with you, absolutely, the how much is very important. So for instance, if Rahm had said, if Rahm had argued, he, and he, by the way, completely 
ducks the issue. And all mayors do. Mayor Daley did it, too. They, they, they go the other way, Tom. They yeah. tell people that it's not a tax hike. They go the opposite direction. They tell you, if you want this money to pour in right now, this is what you have to do. They leave out the, the part that it's you got to wait 23 years. And let's not be so quick to minimize 23 years. That's like yeah. two generations of school children will go through the Chicago public schools without the beneficiary, the benefit of property tax dollars coming from two of the I richest agree. areas of the city. It's not a perfect world. I, I, agree, with 50, I agree with 50% of what you say. So what I'm saying is... But I don't agree with the other 50%. I could, my point is that there is no black and white in this city and in this world on public policy or in the motives of people. Well, no. So what I would say is if, I, if I'm going to believe in the motives of people, if I'm going to believe that they're as trustworthy when they say they be, they wake up in the morning, want to eradicate poverty, what have you, I need them to be honest with me. So I need them to say, number one, that this tax dollars are going to be, uh, the benefits are not going to happen for 23 years. So it's an investment, honesty there. Number two, it's going to divert money from the public schools, honesty there. And number three, and this gets to your point, how much money do they actually need? We're talking about an area. So that's my point. Yeah, well, that's that, never, that's gets, why, and that think, never gets answered. In the right, but, and I agree with you. There, it's, and that's where I think he gave away too much. And I think he, for some reason, felt he needed to. And I think he's wrong. I wish he had, wish we'd waited, wish we'd given less. Um, where, where I go back is my original point. I don't think that Rom, and it's just like he didn't think of Richie Daly, gets up in the morning. Certain people do. Roger, Roger Stone gets up in the morning and he just <laughs> wants to do evil and do well for himself. I mean, I really believe there's... Eddie Verdoliak got up in the morning and said, where's mine? All right? Eddie Burke is more complicated. Eddie Burke got up in the morning and said, where's mine? And by the way, I'm really being a great alderman and helping my ward. You know what I mean? He convinced himself of that. So there are degrees of, um, you know, shadiness and, and, and ill will. And I think Eddie Verdoliak was a great example of a pretty dark figure. I, Donald Trump's another one. I, I Rahm, I don't see it. I just don't. I know I don't you know. do, but I don't. I know I don't. Oh, I, I actually do. I, I again, I started off by saying I don't know what goes on Mayor. Yeah, Rahm's but the head. implication you're leaving is you think he his motivations are pretty um, pinched and small-minded it, and not concerned about the city. I, I would say this, and I would say that uh, to some degree or another, uh, Eddie Verdoliak cared about the city. And to some Eddie degree, Verdoliak or another, cared about Rich, whether he could vacate an alley so he could have a bigger backyard. Eddie Verdoliak was uh, trying to use his power to uh, to enrich himself. Uh, and uh, that's and all he cared Rom, about. Rom is, uh, I would say, that uh, Rom tries to use his power to build his brand. And he's constantly, constantly promoting ROM. Oh yeah, promoting ROM. Now, if the yeah. city of Chicago yeah. gets a, a a benefit in the if if a drop falls down for the the people of the city of Chicago while ROM's out promoting ROM, hey, more power to him. Same thing with Eddie. If a drop of benefit falls to there's to the city of Chicago because Eddie's out hustling. Well, we can't read their minds. I think I think you're giving too I little credit. I think minds. you're giving too little credit to ROM and too much credit to Eddie. But but like you say, no. I, I said Eddie was completely motivated by empowering himself and enriching himself. Oh, but, but I don't think Eddie cared at all about the city. Wow, do I believe that? I think Eddie uh, got into politics to get rich. 
and, and, make, and to make the cl- people closest to him rich, and I think that's it. Uh, yeah. Well, I you may, listen. I am certainly not going to be defending Eddie Verdoliak. You're going to defend Eddie. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of people in the tenth ward who would disagree with you vehemently. I know. You know? I know they were. And, they're really good people. Yeah, I just don't see it. I see. I think Eddie Verdoliak is his fundamental motivation is where is mine? Mm. Money, ego, power. I don't think he got up in the morning and said, you know, I'm overstating that. You are overstating it. You're being, I'm overstating it. I'm sure there are people in You're doing Eddie Verdoliak, which you've accused me to doing a Rom. I'm giving Rom. <laughs> you're harder on Verdoliak than I am yeah, on Yeah, well, Rom's not waiting to go to prison again, you know. That is a good point. And we'll leave this at that. You got any more, D, before? Oh, who, me? <laughs> me? Yeah, we got uh, the final quote here. Uh, we're getting the alderman's quotes here from last night's uh, or yesterday's uh, uh, city council meeting. Rom's final city council meeting. Uh, the final quote here comes from the 14th Ward Alderman, and it doesn't take an uber dork like Ben Jarofsky <laughs> to know who that is. It's the guy who's currently facing federal charges and still won his election. Welcome to Chicago. It's Fed Ed himself, Alderman Ed Burke. Here's the quote from Burke. Quote, there's a great deal to be said, Your Honor, for leaving this chamber at your own volition. Well, that's one way of looking at it. All right, Tom. Now I got to put this to you. As, as long as you're defending Rom and feeling very better, benevolent. I mean, just let me. Okay. Is it's like you? Everybody knows that Ed Burke was in politics. To you, well, I, let me back off because I don't know what's in Ed Burke's head. Maybe Ed Burke actually thought that by running a property tax business where he represented uh, powerful downtown interests uh, was somehow or other beneficial to the city of Chicago. Maybe he felt that. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's fair to say no. Okay. <laughs> Just, well, maybe he thought that. You know, I can't go into his mind. Uh, but I would say this is... One of my many problems with Rom matching again, you say you look at what the guy says he wants to do and what he does. And when he came in, it's time to reform Chicago, time to change Chicago. All right. What's this first alliance he makes? Ed Burke. Ed Burke gets to be chairman of the finance committee. Ed Burke gets to run uh, the uh, workers' comp program for eight years. Ed Burke gets to continue being the property tax lawyer. Ed Burke was hired by um, Sterling Bay when they wanted to get their, uh, when they were just assembling their land for their TIF deal. He was hired by the people in the South Loop when they're assembling 70. Rob's looking the other way. So, again. Well, I don't know. You answer. Again, I'll just say this. You have the rhetoric. I want to be a reformer. I want to change Chicago. I want to be the most transparent mayor the city's ever had. Remember that line? Mm-hmm. And then you have the reality. Cut a deal with Ed Burke. Look the other way. I, I think I think your reality is is limited in the way you describe it. I think, I think in fact, Rahm has done quite a few great things, good things. I mean, certainly he made more of an effort than any mayor in, in recent history to find some way to resolve our pension financial issues. I remember sitting with him in a firehouse when he was running for office the first time. And he was telling a bunch of firefighters, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise taxes to to help pay for these pensions, and I'm gonna drive a real hard deal with them." And he drove a hard deal with the firefighters in the first contract he had negotiate, and he did raise taxes. And he goes, "You're not gonna like me for it," and he was right. So my point is that I also think you're simply not giving him credit for the things he did. Do. Wait, talk about the Ed Burke. Why, thing. Let's talk about Ed that Burke. Was what, what, that, was, want, yeah. Tom, that was a pivot. Tom, that was a pivot. I raised something specific. Yeah, but you. you I'll go back to the firefighter thing anytime you want, man. I remember yeah. when Ron that first. You talk. You talk about a man 
ducking and dodging the pension issue, Rom spent four years punting on pensions. And the first thing he did, he fed this notion that somehow or other, the city of Chicago could get a, a pension bill through Springfield that would cut pensions of pensioners, knowing full well what every lawyer was telling him, that there, that the law said you can't do that. It wasted how many years they all before did. the Supremes? John Cullerton, they all, they all were dreaming. But what was about Eddie Burke? Well, no, but what I said about Ed Burke was that the, my trouble with Rom is that there's what he says he wants to do and then the reality. And so the re- when he came in, he was going to be the most transparent mayor in the city of Chicago. Yeah, he I was going it. to be a reform mayor. And then what did he do? He cut a deal with Ed Burke and looked the other way while Ed I, Burke was the most powerful right. alderman. But you said council. you wanted me to talk about Ed Burke. Yeah, what? I was saying, so you, you, you said to me, why, well, why did Rom do that? I'm, I'm throwing that to you. I mean, what benefit did the city of Chicago get from Rom? You know, I don't know deal? why. Rom came in as a... Um, no strings attached kind of mayor. He came out of Washington. He'd been a congressman, but he wasn't part of the uh, he wasn't part of the, anybody's organization in the same way as Richie Daly had been or Richie's brothers. Um, I don't know why he kept Eddie Burke, but I'm going to guess it was just the the easiest thing to do, given the fact that Eddie has knows a lot of stuff, and there's probably a half the council was terif- uh, fearful of what Eddie would do if he ever opened his mouth about them. I, I don't know. Eddie, but, uh, the whole city council, for some reason, has always deferred to Eddie Burke. A lot of people who I think were pretty progressive, thoughtful people even, ha- w- would just let him do his thing. And I don't think Manuel came in and got a sense that he had a city council that they wanted to take on Ed Burke. And frankly, it wasn't in his interest to open that can of worms. Um, yeah, he picks. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't think. It, I, I. I don't. Nobody's ever taken on Eddie Burke. Rich Daly had absolutely no positive relationship with Alderman Ed Burke, and he left him too. The greatest mayor of city of Chicago in our lifetime took on Eddie, on Eddie Burke. His name was Harold Washington. Yes, D, you got something for me? Well, we gotta go, I got to grab Jake Lewis here. He's in studio. Okay. I just want to let everybody know we have audio of Rahm's final speech and uh, city council speech. We have the audio. We're running a bit behind on time, so we're going to save that audio. Hey, it would be pretty cool to have uh, the newly elected alderman, uh, Matt Martin, weigh in we, on uh, his final speech. Right, How about well, that? All right. And uh, so you go get get our two o'clock guests and I'll continue the conversation with young Tom McNamee, editorial writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, we're having a spirited debate. Debate is good and it's healthy. Uh, I knew this debate was coming because when I walked in the building today, Tom goes, you know, I'm going to give you hell, man. No, what I wanted to talk about, but we won't now, is uh, uh, Julian Assange. No, let's talk about that. I actually wanted to talk to you about weaponizing the First Amendment, which is uh, a topic uh, it's related. It related, but talk about Julian Assange. Go ahead. Well, I'll try to make it brief what I think is going on here. All right, well, just remind people, some so of our listeners may not know founder, what happened. Julian Assange is the founder of WikiLeaks, and he's famous for two periods in our recent history. In about 2010 or so, he was the one through WikiLeaks to release all kinds of secret government information that showed how we ran Abu Ghraib, for instance, the prisoner uh, camp in Iraq, okay? Torture techniques, things like that. The right hated him. Republicans hated him because he's revealing all of these um, unconstitution, uncivil liberties sort of things being done by the Bush administration. And then, so, and, and the left loves him because he's revealing all of these horrible things are, are, that are being done in our government's name. And then in 2016 presidential election, Julian Assange is back again with WikiLeaks, and now he's revealing information about the Democratic Party and about Hillary Clinton that is being 
taken up by Russian operatives and used to influence the campaign in candidate Donald Trump's favor. Mm-hmm. So now the, the the right loves him and the left hates him. Yep. So everybody doesn't like Julian yeah. Assange. So now <laughs> he's been holed up in yeah. a uh, an embassy in London, the, the Ecuadorian embassy, for a long time, for quite a few years since then, because he's wanted on a charge of sexual assault in Sweden. Finally, he gets kicked out of the embassy just yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, and it turns out that we have charged him. We being the United States. We being the United States. Mm-hmm. Back in back a year ago, grand jury convened and filed a charge against Julian Assange, accusing him of working with somebody else to uh, hack a Pentagon computer. So in other words, the charge is conspiracy to hack a government computer, mm-hmm. okay? And this is really important, Ben, because what the charge is not, is not a charge that says he should not have revealed all of this secret information. And that's real important because at the heart of this Assange thing, as much as nobody likes Julian Assange right now, I certainly don't, is a First Amendment yep. issue. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, in this world of the internet now, who is a journalist? The days when it, made it, it meant you had a printing press or a mm-hmm. radio station or even a blog, are over. You could have a website and you can be a journalist. And I personally like the idea of a very broadly defined idea of what a journalist is. I don't want the government deciding that Julian Assange is not a journalist. Mm-hmm. So my concern is that when they charge him, that they he is truly being charged for trying to hack into a government computer, which is a legitimate thing to charge, you know, go after for, and not for disseminating uh, the uh, the secret classified mm-hmm. information that others may have obtained, which is what the every news organization does. That the New York Times released the Pentagon Papers, yep. which changed our whole attitude toward the Vietnam War. That was classified information. Mm-hmm. If the government had stopped the New York Times from doing that, we wouldn't we would not have known about all that sort of thing. Part of what gov- part of what mainstream newspapers and journalists do is reveal secrets of government, mm-hmm. and we can't put a brick on that as we go after Julian Assange. Well, I agree with everything you're saying here. Hey, we found something we agreed on. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, did you guys talk about Bruce Rauner earlier? <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! Uh, Bruce Rauner. All right, but I definitely don't agree with you about Bruce Rauner. But we'll, let's put that aside and let's just deal with this because uh, I do want to talk about this uh, Julian Assange. And um, there's two issues here in my mind that one is the issue of whether he should be uh, indicted, uh, whether that is cracking down on the press, whether that is an intrusion on our First Amendment rights and our and our. Uh, I, I am always I'm, I'm a, almost a First Amendment purist here yeah. and I'm a libertarian in my attitudes about government secrets. Uh, like, for instance, in the city of Chicago, I was cheering on when that judge, Cook County judge, uh, forced the city to release the Laquan McDonald video, all right? Uh, I, I'm, this is going to sound weird. I'm going to have Jim, Jim Coogan, our uh, ace attorney, will be in the studio later. We're going to be going through uh, the um, the latest uh, Donald Trump uh, wheeling and dealings uh, with the Mueller, Mueller report. I, I want that released. I don't want any redactions. Right. Unless it's a cell phone. It's like the Tom McNamee's cell number is in there. Or, or the name of like a, a spy someplace okay you know, even, or something like that but these, I get the feeling that's gonna be full page redactions. I agree and we won't even know what it is uh, and so and I also Trump says investigate the investigators I'm really curious what did 
motivate the FBI to launch their investigation of Donald Trump? I'd like to know that as well. So I'm very sympathetic to that. So even though Assange in many ways is a thoroughly unlikable human being, I think we agree on that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I do not know what's in his mind. I don't know what he wakes up thinking, going back to that issue. I do believe, you're right, I think it is it is like a dangerous path. So that's one issue. The other issue is, why now? This is the part of me that's always, maybe it's the, the Chicago Observer, Tom, that just overwhelms yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know. So that's a great question. Why now? Why would Trump even want that to come out right now? Because it's not exactly like he wants to open up that whole issue again of how... Uh, the uh, Russians tried to influence the election, which is all going to come out. And who knows what Assange would say under oath about that. I don't know why now. I don't know why now. I don't know. But I do have this gut sense that the Trump administration filing this one charge against Assange, Justice Department, that their interest is not just about the fact that he conspired with uh, Chelsea Manning to hack a Pentagon computer. My concern is that this is a backdoor way to punish him for revealing state secrets, and that becomes a threat to the First Amendment. Yes. Um, and the reason I think that is, if you go back and read the actual charges, the actual charge, the language of the indictment, it brings up some issues about, you know, what did he know about how this information would mm-hmm. be used, and that sort of thing, and I'm thinking, that's irrelevant. Either he hacked into the computer or not. The issue of what he thought he was going to do with it, journalistically, the fact that that's in the that in the language of the indictment concerns me. Mm-hmm. Makes me think that this is not a pure motive. To well, just, well yeah. this is a leftover from Barack Obama's administration. And Barack Obama had a particular obsession with leaks that uh, uh, from his uh, yes, he did. The State Department, the Defense Department's two journalists, and there are people who went to jail who were prosecuted for leaking. I don't know if they went to jail, but they were definitely prosecuted uh, for leaking information. This is an obsession. This was not one of the, uh, in my humble opinion, Tom, the finer uh, attributes of Barack Obama during his presidency. Uh, Donald Trump, he's turned against everything Obama did. You know what I mean? Like health, everything, the good stuff that Obama did, like health care, uh, you know, and re- regulating the environment. But now he seems to picked up this 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 uh, little battle with Assange after he was, as you said, he was praising Assange. But we're assuming something. We're assuming Donald Trump had anything to do with no, it. Fair. And one thing we've learned is that the Justice Department and, and the White House are not always even talking yeah. to each other. Well, I'm waiting for his tweet as he weighs in. Usually he weighs in. Uh, will he condemn the Justice Department? Right. Will, will he blast the... You know, and it's funny. We, we talk, I talked about this all the time during last uh, pre, uh, governor's race. Uh, one of the, the, the weapons that Bruce Rauner had, follow me on this, against Pritzker in the early stages were the taping that the Tribune released of the conversations, the private phone conversations yeah, yeah. between Blago and Pritzker when Pritzker right. was a private citizen. And... Uh, when Donald Trump and Patty Blagojevich sort of tag teamed to undercut the prosecution of Trump, uh, Blagojevich, as part of an effort to make it seem like Trump was a victim as well, right. that took that weapon away from Rauner, if you will, to a certain degree, because his base, his Republican base, was getting a different message from Donald Trump, if you follow what I'm saying. They were, right, right, they were right. getting the message they're getting from Donald Trump was that Blago was the right. unfair victim of overzealous right. prosecutors. And people want to jump on Blago, have a president they love who's defending Blago. Yeah. So what I'm saying is it'd be really curious to, to along these lines to see how Trump is going to respond right. 
to this latest. I think there's a real chance here, Ben, that Trump didn't even know the Justice Department had done this and that a grand jury had filed this charge. I think there's a real chance. He doesn't keep up with anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not like Don uh, Rahm Emanuel with the intricacies of a TIF deal on the north side. Just had to bring that in there one more time. <laughs> All right. Before you let me go, you have the great Jake Lewis sitting here. Uh, you should take a bow. Uh, we talk about this all the time, and I haven't. I wanted to have you come on last week, uh, but you were on vacation or something like that. Yeah, I was. Uh, the three things that led to Lori's uh, triumph in the primary, which got her, of course, the, uh, where she is now. Uh, well, I would say Ed Burke's indictment, uh, Rob Markwick, uh, in his encounter with her. Uh, we talked about that earlier in the show and uh, front page Sun-Times editorial. So you feeling good about that? Yeah, I do. You know, it's pretty cool that we had such an impact. And uh, I think I was telling you before, I think we wrote a good editorial. We endorsed Lori, and I think we did our, a good job at it. But honest to God, Ben, the big thing was her big picture on the front page and the word endorsement. Nobody knew who Lori was outside of certain circles until we did that. So even if you never read the editorial... The front page alone said, take a look at this woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that had a huge impact. All right, that's Tom McNamee. By the way, I urge everybody to read today, sometimes editorial, (laughs) a bit of reconsideration to some degree on the Lori Lightfoot thing, but uh, uh, the sometimes wait and switch on Lincoln Yards. Tom McNamee, thank you so much. We'll bring you back. I guess we're going to turn the page. Is that right, Ben? Wait, hold on, Tom. We're turning the page. (laughs) All right, Tommy Mack has left the building. Tom McNamee has left the building. Jake Lewis is here. We're going to have more political discussion when we return. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's dark side. It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for what is today? April 11th. Thursday, April 11th is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions for helping make the Ben Jarofsky show return here. All right. First off, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8. Shout out to Ryan Kelly. The Internet. Oh, what's that? Yo, Ryan. Oh, there you go. Yo, Ryan. Uh, The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 and the Internet. National Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here and bringing the Ben Jarofsky Show back. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, April 11th, and live from the Chicago Reader's Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome back Illinois political news junkie Jake Lewis of the Chicago Federation of Labor. And we welcome Ben's newly elected 47th Ward Alderman. Oh my God, you better be nice. Matt Martin. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist. Benny J. Benjarovsky. Uh, man, I'm playing a mean air organ right now on that song. Yes, indeed. Jake Lewis from the Chicago Federation of Labor is in the studio. Political geek extraordinaire. Also, by the way, D. What? A proud graduate of Evanston High School. His beloved Wild Kits made it to second place. Wild Kits? They are the Wild Kits, K-I-T-S, as opposed to the Wild Cats, who are the Northwestern team. See, it's like the Big Brothers and the Little Brothers, Ah, the Cats and the Kits. That's cool. Yeah. They're ferocious. Uh, Jake Lewis was a hell of a basketball player in his time. They called him Duncan Jake. Still am. (laughs) Oh, you can dunk? Uh, Maybe, you know, those little uh, little kitty Uh, adjustable rims? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can throw down on that. He can a donut. It's about the only thing Jake's dunking these days. He's anyway, like a three-point guy. Uh, are you a three-point shooter? I got a, I got a mid-range shot. Mid-range bulls could use my it's beloved a of, bulls. Look, it's a lot of grit. It's a lot of heart. Uh, a lot of fundamentals, boxing out, those kinds of things. Okay, real boring stuff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Jake Lewis's beloved Wild Kids finished second in the state. So congratulations right. to all the Wild Kids out there. Go Kids. Go Kids. All right, D, you got an update for us? Absolutely, I do. First off, shout out to our YouTube live stream chat room. You guys are chatting it up, up top. That's awesome. <laughs> so many people going back and forth here. I want to give a special shout out to this guy named Steven. I think he's new to the chat here. Boy, he is thirsty for some local content this afternoon. Here, you guys talking about Assange like good god come on let's get to the local stuff uh, I love Assange talk sorry Steven we'll get back to local but I love Assange talk anyway and so we're gonna turn the page from the Assange Ooh, talk isn't on. that right Ben hold on All turning right. the page if baby. you just tuned in you don't know what we're talking about but it's a pretty good joke go listen to it on the download but uh yeah hey Steven hate to break it to you dude we're gonna do a little more national news all right it's we're doing what we call the Bernie question after reports came out of 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Mr. $27 himself Bernie Sanders announced that he is worth way more than $27 he's a millionaire we went to all of you on both Ben Jarofsky show Facebook and Twitter pages b-e-n-n-y J show Benny J show at Benny J show find us there uh, like us follow us tell your friends whatever you want to do we decided to ask all of you the Bernie question Bernie's a millionaire 
Is this a big deal or not a big deal for the Sanders campaign? We have more of your comments to read. A big thank you to all who weighed in here. You helped make a podcast segment for the last two days. Let's hear what you have to say here. So, Bernie is a millionaire. Big deal or no big deal? And I'm kind of kicking myself. I should have made this a poll. Yeah, you should have made it a poll. All right, moving <laughs> forward, I'll make stuff like this a poll, all right? Uh, but first... <laughs> are there any winners in polls? I don't, I don't no, know. No, just no. Well, first, it's Jose's response. Jose types, fine. He is, in fact, a millionaire. A millionaire that wants to tax other millionaires and billionaires. He never forgot his roots. Yeah. I hear, hear. All right. Liz weighed in. Liz said, it's great. Can't remember when Americans have elected anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Get, get the car to Liz. Oh, no. Frozen steaks is what we're saying to, uh, sending these days. Frozen steak on its way, Liz. Laura, we don't do steaks. Uh, oh, it's Laura? Laura? I thought it was Liz. My bad. Uh, no, no. It was Liz. This is okay. Laura's okay. comment here. Laura has quite a bit to say about this. Bernie is a millionaire. Big deal or no big deal? Please weigh in, Stephen. I know you love these national politics. <laughs> big deal or no big deal? Laura says, I hope this will be used to reinforce that Bernie has never been against millionaires. What he's against is inequality borne by the uber wealthy not paying their fair share in receiving tax subsidies and other forms of government welfare, e.g. millions of our tax dollars going to government programs, subsidized food, housing, and health care for Walmart full-time employees because Walmart family hoards their billions in profits and refuses to pay their employees a living wage. Wow, that's that I hear, hear, Laura. That's Laura, right? That's that's Laura. That's Laura. Steaks in the mail for Laura. That was excellent. Once again, don't expect a steak. <laughs> we don't do that. Chris says, awesome. Good for you, Bernie. Get elected and provide Medicare for all, even the Republicans. Yes. And by the way, Medicare for all, uh, we are going to have a, a take a deep dive on that next week or the week after. We're bringing in a couple experts to talk about the Medicare for all issue. So Beth Blackson out there, I know you're listening. We got you covered. Martise says, hopefully millionaires will follow his footsteps and pay their fair share of taxes. Lynn says, no big deal. Art says, no big deal. On to Twitter. Here's Ariana 2639322280. Wow. Okay. It's a, gotta love Twitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ariana no. says, yeah. I already figured that he was a millionaire from the three houses. Just curious how he got there. I don't think it was all book sales. And curious if his supporters see the inconsistencies in his rhetoric and the image he's pretend, uh, presented. Wow, let me see. Bernie Bernie. Yeah, so another way. I don't, the image he's presenting, I guess because he doesn't dress real slick like a, a millionaire should dress, you know, like nice loafers or something like that. So I guess that's, is that what she's getting at, the image? Yeah, I would assume. I don't know. He has to look a little disheveled. But, you know, there's some, like, eccentric billionaire. Howard Hughes was a billionaire. Oh, there's a name that nobody knows <laughs> except for me. Uh, but he was real eccentric. He didn't cut his hair or clip his fingernails or anything like that he lived in big anyway enough howard hughes talk. bernie's a millionaire big deal or no big deal Matto mahu types yeah he made it a big deal by the tone deaf way he responded no bernie i can't just write a best-selling book because nobody knows me yep, that, that is a great response uh get frozen steaks to who is it <laughs> Mato Mahu. Mato, because the point is, they was asked, uh, you know, how you're a millionaire. Some reporter asked him that. He goes, I sold some books. And if it were so easy, we'd all do it. So good response by Mato. And we'll do uh, Big V on Twitter. That's V E E. Get it right. Big V. <laughs> he puts here, uh, no big deal. So 
I'm the consistency, putting, it's no big deal. You know what I'm doing, oh, Big V? What's I'm that? putting him down low, get the hands in the air, box out, get me some rebounds. That's there what Big go. V's going to do. Get some rebounds, Big V. Come on. And then kick it to Jake Lewis for the three-pointer. Yeah, no, right. mid-range, mid-range. Oh, the oh mid-range. only mid-range. Sorry, sorry. And, oh, hey, way to go, Stephen, lover of all local politics. He weighed in on the uh, Bernie question here. Stephen says millionaires can't, or they can have good ideas. Plenty of worthwhile ideas come from the top. They just don't need to be calling out all the shots. I agree with Stephen 100% on that one on both points. So good stuff from our listeners. And coming it. up uh, later on today, we have uh, audio from Mayor Rahm's final city uh city speech we're going to be playing that with the newly elected alderman matt martin putting yes. him in the hot seat Put him right away. right from the get <laughs> sit down <laughs> all right well he's free to insult rom rom won't be there anymore so he can say whatever he wants about him but uh, anyway matt martin will be here in a little while but jake lewis is with us right now pride yep. and joy the chicago federation of labor jake welcome back young man thank you for having me all right uh got so much i want to talk to you about i gave jake i give him many people don't realize this my listeners man i i mean my uh, guests I give them homework assignments. Uh, almost every guest that comes up, many of the guests, I send them articles. Like uh, Tommy McNamee, who was before you, I sent him an article that so he had no to one read. comes back, that means they hate homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's called God, Ben's going to send me an article. Uh, and I sent Jake Lewis one, uh, a New York Times story. So, Jake, do not allow me to let you leave the room without talking about that New York Times article uh, about the Democratic Party and the electorate of the Democratic Party and uh, sort of the interesting divisions yeah. therein. Uh, but before we do that, let's just get some uh, preliminaries out of the way. Yep. Um, some of the news that people should know about affecting uh, labor in the state. There's the fair tax, mm -hmm. of course. And then, uh, so why don't we talk? start with the fair tax? Go ahead. What's the latest? Jake did a whole seminar. You can hear it uh, on our show. You can download it's a very popular feature. Ran a couple of weeks ago, but you can still find it. Uh, you can listen to it on the Fair Tax. Deep uh, Dive Five. Deep the Dive Deep Five. five. Uh, so uh, just refresh our memories a little bit on the Fair Tax. Yeah, the Fair Tax is Governor J.B. Pritzker's proposal to move Illinois state income tax from a flat tax, currently 4.95%, to uh, what's called a graduated income tax, where the more you make, uh, the more you pay. So it would ask the wealthiest to pay a little bit more folks in the middle class, those trying to get there to pay a little bit less. So there's been a lot of conversation about the fair tax for uh, basically the last year. I mean, this was a central plank of J.B. Pritzker's campaign for governor in 2018. Uh, he came out with some details a few weeks ago, and finally yesterday there was the first legislative movement to make this, to turn this from an idea into reality. So there's a long road from where we are now to the state actually enacting this fair tax, but the first step was made yesterday in the Illinois Senate with the constitutional amendment proposal uh, being passed by the Senate Executive Committee by a, a party line 12 to 5 vote. So just to break down the, the couple of components that, that need to happen here in order for this to become a reality. So you got, you got two big two big pieces here. The first is the state needs to prove, approve a constitutional amendment to the state constitution that will allow for a graduated income tax, allow for a fair tax. Right now, the state constitution says that the the state income tax must be uh, levied at a flat rate, so you got to change that, um, and that would require approval by the general assembly, and then also approval by sixty percent of voters mm -hmm. in November of twenty twenty. So that has both a legislative piece and a referendum piece uh, that would go in front of voters, and that's the piece that moved yesterday, that started to move through the Illinois Senate 
again, it would have, then it would have to be approved by the House, and then it goes to voters. It actually doesn't go to the governor, which is something that uh, is often lost in this. The constitutional amendment piece doesn't go to the governor. That's piece one. Piece two is the actual rates, uh, and this would be how much... Uh, you would pay based on your income level, um, and there would be several different brackets. Governor J.B. Pritzker came out with his desired, his proposed uh, bracket system a couple of weeks ago. There's still some negotiation that would need to be done. That would only be approved by the General Assembly and then signed off by the governor. And, of course, that could only go into effect should that constitutional amendment be approved by the voters. So two pieces here, different processes for those to get through. I, I know it's it's confusing and, and it can uh, make those eyes glaze over. But the, the main point here is that that first step was taken yesterday in the Illinois Senate. And it was 12 to 5. So once again, a party line yep. uh, vote, the 12 Democrats, obviously five Republicans. That's right. And uh, what's the argument that the Republicans are advancing uh, to vote uh, against this uh, referendum? Well, they've had a couple of different uh, lines that they have taken in order to attack the graduate income tax. I mean, the, the biggest one is that it's a jobs tax, quote unquote. Um, you know, there isn't really any significant evidence to support that claim. Um, the majority of states have a graduate income tax. The federal government has a graduate income tax. Most of our neighbors have a graduate income tax. I mean, this is what is commonly done in most states uh, in order to uh, in order to provide stable revenues so that the state can fund education, social services, things like that. I mean, I think underneath the, the sort of policy arguments that opponents are making against a graduated tax, you'll see this current of, you know, you can't trust Democrats, you can't trust Pritzker, you can't trust uh, Speaker Mike Madigan, you can't trust those folks down in Springfield. Uh, and that trust argument, I think, is what underlies most of the policy arguments made by the opponents. Um, I think what, what you'll see from Pritzker and, and the folks supporting the fair taxes, a basic sort of nuts and bolts argument that the state has had problems for many, many years. And, and one of the reasons that we do is because the rich just keep on getting richer, but they pay the same tax rate as a single mom or uh, um, someone making minimum wage. Um, and that just that fundamentally isn't fair. So um, that fairness argument, I think, is is the strongest one in support of a fair tax. And, and that's the one that you're going to see for many months. All right. By the way, uh, speaking of proponents of a fair tax, uh, my next guest, Matt Martin, is in the room. I love it when a guest comes early. And uh, so I'm asking this question, but I'm thinking of a conversation I'm going to have with Matt Martin mm -hmm. uh, in a little while when he's sitting in that chair over there. And that is this. Um, one of the reasons cited for needing a uh, fair tax is that we, uh, the, the state of Illinois has to raise more money uh, and but uh, to pay for all its bills, all its obligations. And many of the cities and municipalities are also looking for more contribution, a greater contribution mm -hmm. uh, from the state to pay their bills and their, uh, their obligations. Can you raise taxes on not just the wealthy, everybody, anybody without uh, linking it to some sort of relief. In other words, if you're going to raise the uh, high, the rates on the highest taxpayers, don't you also have to couple that uh, to make it politically palpable with some kind of property tax cut uh, or some other kinds of cuts that in some way or other 
distance yourself from the accusation and all you want to do is just mm -hmm. tax and spend? That's a great question. And, and if you actually look at the proposal that J.B. Pritzker put out a few weeks ago, those rates that I was talking about, he does include property tax relief uh, for state uh, on your state income taxes as part of that proposal. That is to say, he is increasing the property tax credit uh, that is available to people when they file for state income taxes. He also increased uh, the amount that you are able to deduct for uh, dependents, for children that you have. So the, the, the change in the tax code does also come with tax relief in other areas. But I think m more generally to your point um, about you know, changing taxes, increasing taxes, changing the revenue system, uh, and coupling that with some sort of reform. It's it's very important to remember that the state of Illinois is one of the worst uh, states in the nation for state dollars supporting local schools. That is to say, the state of Illinois is one of the uh, puts in the the least amount of any states to support local school districts. So where does the money come from to support local school districts? It comes from property taxes. Mm -hmm. The reason people's property taxes are so high, one of the main reasons, is because the state does such a poor job of kicking in the amount of money that it's supposed to. So the idea here is, if we can bring in increased dollars to the state through this fair tax, that money will flow through the system, it will come back to, the, to schools, and that will relieve the pressure on local taxing bodies, on local school districts, and therefore help bring down some of that pressure mm -hmm. on property This taxes. is an argument that's been advanced by uh, uh, I don't want us to call them progressives in the state going back to the 90s. Don Clark Nett, Don Clark Nett, Nett I forget that's right. that name, uh, a great state senator from the north side of Chicago, uh, when she ran for governor, mm -hmm. uh, advanced this uh, argument, and uh, she was defeated. And I think there's a psychology at play here, uh, Jake, and I would love to hear you address this, sure. and that is this. The system that we have now, for all its flaws, works very well for some communities. So like you're a, a proud wildcat uh, at Evanston. It works very well for let's say New Trier. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they tax themselves a lot uh, in Wilmette, Winnetka, Kenilworth, et cetera. Uh, and they have a fantastic public school system. They don't need, they don't need uh, the state kicking in more money. They may want it, but sure. they don't need it because their community uh, has the the resources to tax itself and pay for this top flight system. Do you think that most people push come to shove will want to change that radical inequity uh, that favors like the the nutriers of the world uh, in relation to the Chicago's or the Harveys or? the Peorias, et cetera? Well, I'll take it even a step back from there. The, the way that taxes work in this state right now is a great deal if you're rich, period. Um, the flat tax is a fantastic deal if you're rich, uh, and it allows you to pay, relatively speaking to other states, a, a, a lower percentage of your income in taxes. Um, and that's that's great if you're if you're a high earner. That's great if you're in the Kenilworths and the Winnetkas uh, of this state. It is a very bad deal if you are uh, middle class or um, if you are striving to get there. So um, there was a study that was done by the Institute of, for Taxation and Economic Policy, and basically what it showed is if you're in the bottom 20% of earners in this state, you pay nearly double of your income to state and local taxes as compared to the top 1%. Mm -hmm. That is to say, twice as much of, of, the, of your income 
uh, if you're at the bottom of the economic ladder, is going to state and local taxes compared to people at the very, very top. It's just inherently unfair. It doesn't make sense. It isn't sustainable. Uh, it's one of the big reasons that we as a state have had so many problems for so long. And, you know, you can get into these these policy arguments about the best way to structure a tax system and what are we going to do with the income tax, what's the property tax, and you can go on, spin your wheels for a long time. At the end of the day, what this comes down to is fairness. The state income tax right now is unfair, and it's time to fix it. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, uh, to, to fix it, uh, this, this, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. It's going to, yeah. going to, it's going to how many uh, legislators are going to have to round up to vote yes in the, uh, I think it's in the General Assembly. How many? It's two-thirds on both sides two- for the constitutional amendment yeah. piece. It would just be a simple majority for the rate piece. But right. again, constitutional amendment piece has to go in front of voters in November of next year. So we're going to be talking about this for at least another 18 months. And, and to get it before the voters, you're going to have to get, I think, to two-thirds. I, my math is not is failing me at the moment. What two-third vote is in the General Assembly, it's 60-something votes. It's going to require... So it's it's 71 in the House. 71 in the House. Uh, no. Yeah, and that's... and, and 71. It, it is often thought um, yeah. based on the, the composition of the state house and state senate right now, um, that the house will be the more difficult Very chamber difficult, yeah. for the constitutional amendment piece. Why do you say that? Say that. Explain that. Well, part of it is just the numbers breakdown. I mean, there are, you can put me on the spot here, but I think it's 74 House Democrats. So if they lose four, um, then the constitutional amendment piece wouldn't pass. It's widely assumed that no Republican is going to vote for this. Although, if you look at the the residents of these many of these Republican districts, people there would be getting a significant tax cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that there is a political argument to be made, uh, and I'm sure there will be an effort to to try and get some Republicans onto this thing. So the numbers are slimmer uh, in the state house versus the state senate, um, and I think that's probably one of the big reasons why that chamber is seen to be uh, the more difficult one for proponents. Yeah, it, the slim numbers. And again, Mike Madigan, the uh, Speaker of the House, uh, has always been the sort of leader of the Democratic Party that believes in protecting his caucus members. This is me speaking based on my uh, years of watching him. He's not going to force, he's not going to twist an arm. If he thinks that somebody's... Um, seat may be lost, someone's uh, re-election may be lost because of voting for this constitutional amendment, guarantee you, uh, Jake, he'll allow that person the leeway to vote whatever is in his or her best interest. So that's part of the challenge as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a, I mean, this is a big change that voters are going to be thinking about when they go into uh, the booth in November of 2020. So I, I think it's important to remember it, fair income tax is wildly popular across the state. I mean, we're talking 70% plus support the idea of a fair income tax, uh, support the idea of a graduate income tax. So this is a politically popular proposal um, that the governor has put forward. Um, but of course, you got to turn that into legwork. So you got to turn that into knocking on doors and making phone calls to your legislator, make sure they understand that they will be supported if they uh, if they support this proposal um, or they will be punished if they oppose it, frankly. So uh, that political legwork is going to be done between now and November of 2020. All right. Before I bring Matt Martin on, I got to ask you about a couple other things. Yep. Uh, the um, the fair work week yeah. uh, showdown in the city council. Talk about that. Yeah. So this was something that um, has been working its way through the city council fair work week uh is 
generally the idea that if you're uh, mainly if you're an hourly worker, you deserve some some stability in your scheduling when you go to work. So what Fair Work Week says, and this is something that's been put into place in a couple of cities across the country, it it basically says you know w- within 10 days or maybe 14 days before you're supposed to go to work, you get to see your schedule. You get to see when you're when you're going to be scheduled to come into work. Um, if you are called into work and then cut without working, you deserve some sort of compensation for that. Um, you th- there needs to be some amount of time to rest between your shifts so you can't say work until three o'clock in the morning and then your employer expects you to be back at the job site at eight o'clock you know five hours later so it it provides stability um, for workers as they uh, go to these jobs and remember if you're a student you know if you're a single parent um, that that instability in knowing when your hours are going to be, knowing when you're going to be able to go to work, that is very, very significant. Mm-hmm. can put a lot of strain on you um, and your family members as you're trying to make enough money to support yourself or maybe even support your kids. So this is something that um, has been worked on for years. Um, uh, proponents, there, there's a coalition that is supporting Fair Work Week. They have been negotiating with various business interests for six months now, um, getting closer and closer. It was, uh, unfortunately, it was um, killed through this city council um, in committee a couple of days ago. There was a quorum call that was done at the last minute that sabotaged that vote, unfortunately. Um, however, uh, Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot has expressed her support for Fair Work Week, um, and we feel like the incoming city council is going to be even more receptive to the idea of a Fair Work Week. So this is something that is not going away um, and will be, I'm sure, a topic of conversation and negotiation in the next city council, and we look to see it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. What uh, got through the city council in the lame duck session was the uh, $2.3 billion worth of uh, giveaways to uh, uh, developers. Uh, but the relief for ordinary working folks, somehow or other, they couldn't get that through the city council. All right. And uh, before I bring Matt uh, Martin on, and he's sitting here very patient, I'm going to bring Alderman elect Matt Martin on uh, uh, after the break. But uh, May Day. Yeah talk about that just wanted to give a quick plug may day um this is a an annual celebration and remembrance of uh the haymarket riots that happened in chicago um so there's gonna be a may day celebration celebration of workers this is happening on may day which is may 1st uh so coming up in a couple of weeks uh four o'clock at haymarket square this is on displays uh basically displays and randolph so there will be uh, a program there talking about working people um, and remembering what happened uh, at at Haymarket Square, and then there's also going to be a program afterwards at Old St. Pat's discussing workers' rights in the modern era. So, if you're interested in in workers' rights, if you're interested in being part of this, um, uh, being part of the day, mark that down on your calendars. You'll be hearing more about it uh, coming up real soon. But I just wanted to make sure I got that on there. Uh, I know people's calendars fill up pretty quick, so yeah. mark All that right. down for May first. May first, Jake Lewis is my guest. I'm going to keep him around. We're locked door, won't let him out, uh, even when we bring Matt Martin on. Uh, because I did say I was going to ask you about the New York Times story, but I'm right. gonna, I want to have Mark, uh, Matt Martin weigh in on that. So uh, we'll uh, hold that off for a little while. We'll bring that uh, top, raise that topic uh, when he's here. So Matt Martin, Alderman Elect from the 47th War, we're going to bring him on right after this. Lock the door. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. 
and by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show <laughs> live from the chicago sun times yeah we are live indeed i just looked at dr d update no all right <laughs> uh matt martin uh about uh, a week ago which is private citizen matt martin walking down the streets of the city of chicago bothering no one and then he was encountered by a neighbor of his me and i said hey are you mad martin running for alderman in the 47th ward he said are you yes. sure you want to be the alderman man you got this guy <laughs> your neighbor <laughs> And you know what Mad Martin said? He goes, is that you, Ben? Yeah, he recognized my voice. How about that? Plus my good looks. He goes, man, you look just like a young Al Pacino. Uh, anyway, he oh, didn't Okay, say. we all know that wasn't true. <laughs> anyway, Matt, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. All right, and Matt was victorious. Uh, he defeated Michael Negron in um, a runoff. Uh, why don't you tell you a little bit about yourself before um, we get started about that race? Because I found that a fascinating race on many levels. Uh, very interesting and ironic race in many ways. But uh, to just introduce yourself to, to our listeners, where you're from, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So I am a resident of the Lincoln Square neighborhood um, in the 47th Ward. It's primarily Lincoln Square, Ravenswood, North Center, some bits of Uptown, um, Andersonville as well. Um, I'm a civil rights lawyer, work at the Illinois Attorney General's office, started off working there on police reform. So among other things, I wrote the complaint that our office filed against the city, worked on the consent decree, did a first draft of, of a good number of portions around that, especially around accountability. Also worked on a number of lawsuits where our office sued the Trump administration, working with other state attorneys general to hold their feet to the fire. And um, so that's what I do professionally. Um, been in my current home for about five years with my wife, Caitlin, four-year-old son. Isaac, a uh, second one on the way. Mm -hmm. And um, I came out to Chicago to go to Northwestern. I was a music and political science major, grew up in Arizona, born and raised. You were a music major? I, I did not know that. Jazz saxophone, yeah. You know how to play the saxophone? I used to. It's been a few years. <laughs> <Were> you <still? laughs> uh, dang, you, you play that piano that's sitting behind you there? No, that's yeah. saxophone. Just, yeah. No, just uh, so you studied music in Northwestern, and uh, and then you, did you stay here for law school? Went to Harvard for law school, and so that was the one time where I wasn't living in the Chicago area. Okay. I was coming back during the summer, <laughs> staying active, so I knew I was yeah. always going to be coming back. And uh, so why Chicago? Why'd you settle on? Why'd you decide to live in the city? I mean, you're from Arizona. You must hate the winters. You know, I'm not a warm weather guy, so the seasons don't bother me. The one thing is with Arizona, it's consistent. Yeah. So with days like this weekend, fantastic, and and then you go to yesterday when it's 
you know, spitting rain, 30 <laughs> degrees. Those are the days in spring that are hard, but yeah. I do love the seasons and I love being in a big city. I was born and raised in Tucson, which is like, I, I say it's Las Vegas without <laughs> the the strip. And so people are like, what's that? I'm like, exactly. I mean, so, it's just hot. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, for half of the year. And so being here with seasons, but also being in an urban environment where you could go to lots of live performances, whether it's music, theater, other things. And so being a music major, it was really important to me to be in or close to a scene where you could go and see the sort of art that you were aspiring to create. Yeah, now, uh, folks can't see them. We don't have our cameras in the studios yet, but Matt Martin looks like he's about 18 years old. That's, I also said that to him when I saw, man, you're so young looking. Uh, I, I guess you get a lot of that, right, Matt? I do. I do. Yeah. There was a time when I first started campaigning where on a daily basis, people would ask, how old are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 35 now, but a young 35. Uh, so when you were a kid, were you a political geek? Were you the kind of kid that like Jake Lewis over here and myself? <laughs> we were like total political geeks when we were kids. Or were you uh, into music and other things? So primarily music, also a big NBA basketball fan as well as college basketball because Tucson, um, even though Phoenix is close by, there's kind of a rivalry. And so we didn't adopt most or all of those teams. So it was University of Arizona basketball. The men's and women's teams were tremendous. And so that was what I was into, but also followed current events really closely. So I wouldn't say I was a political junkie, but I was definitely aware. And a lot of that came from my dad, who is was born and raised in Niger in West Africa. And so he came out to the US to study and that's where he met my mom. She was working at the University of Arizona. He was going to school there. And so he always from a young age impressed upon me the importance of knowing what was going on. And so even though the two of them split up shortly after I was born, um, when he would come back to the US to finish up his studies, I would go hang out with him and he would have like the McLare new, uh, the, 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 uh, Neil Laird. Neil Laird, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like on New in story, the background. Yeah. And so like as a six, seven, eight year old, I was like, okay, this is serious. Not exactly fun, not cartoons. But I, I could see from an early age how important he saw it was to be um, knowledgeable as well as active and engaged. All right. So the first office you run for is Alderman in the 47th Ward. Uh, Chicago politics is kind of a unique uh, blend of uh, all kinds of different things. I'll try to be as uh, neutral as I can. It, why Alderman? Why not something that uh, has a is not so involved in the nitty gritty and uh, of everything from like garbage collection to street payment? Why something a little loftier? Why Alderman? Because I think that nitty gritty is important. Um, the lofty stuff has. Sure, certainly a measurable impact on, on people's lives. So I know that you um, were talking earlier about the progressive state income tax, and that's huge. But if you're talking about road and abatement, garbage collection, tree trimming, potholes, that stuff affects where people want to live, how long they feel comfortable staying there. But there are also kind of a mid-level issues in terms of things that might have hyper-local manifestations, but are things that city council could do a much better job with, um, both in terms of policymaking and oversight. And that's where I think we've really lost um, ties with what we're supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing here in government. And right now with a new council, new mayor, we have an opportunity to take advantage of things. And so for me, it was really working on police reform that crystallized that to say, we have every 10 years, some incident like the Laquan McDonald murder, where the public rightly is up in arms. You have some sort of um, task force that's commissioned 
they put out a report and it collects dust. Mm -hmm. And that started in about 1972, 1973 with Congressman Ralph Metcalf. And to see right now that we're talking about the same sets of issues, but I think more so than ever, we have the opportunity to fundamentally transform that department, transform the way that it's engaging with residents in a really proactive way that reflects our values. I mean, why why would I in many ways run for anything else having worked on that at the mm -hmm. Attorney General's office? And uh, so, okay, you ran for 47th Ward Alderman, the, the incumbent and it was a mayor Pawar, mm -hmm. who himself was in many ways, it reminds me of just talking to you now, I flash back to young Amea when he was first running and when I was interviewing him. Uh, and uh, he left, he said he put a two term limit on himself and he ran for treasurer. So you're running for a vacant uh, a seat, essentially. And I think there was like eight or nine people in the race, mm -hmm. something like that. And also on top of everything else, it's Mayor Rahm's home turf. Uh, and you did not have Mayor Rahm's endorsement. So what was the challenge there? I think it, it, it was in different stages. So at the outset, it was who's supporting you? Who's sending you? Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to be the nobody the nobody sent. And so part of how I combated that was just door knocking. I knocked on doors four to eight hours a day, every day of the week. As a campaign, we ended up knocking on over 125,000 doors. So that in short is how we combat that sort of stuff. But when you go from a field of nine candidates and you're slowly winnowing and then down to two in a runoff, then you have the wind at your backs. You've got a lot of organizations and individuals who are on your side then. And so if, if it's whether it's labor, it's progressive organizations and elected officials who are linking arm in arm, uh, having your back when attacks are getting thrown your way, then that means that we're able to have a good night, even though almost $100,000 was spent against us in the last week and a half. Yeah, all right, let's talk about that. And this relates to my conversation uh, with Jake Lewis. Uh, I am trying to uh, calm down and just reflect on this. In your race, you advanced a notion, an idea, that maybe Chicago should consider having its own corporate income tax. Uh, that was used against you by your opponent. Before we get into the, the use against you and the implications that has for what uh, Jake Lewis and J.B. Pritzker are trying to do with a fair tax, uh, on a macro level, let's talk about what exactly was your idea, this mm -hmm. uh, kernel of an idea that you had. Yeah, and so just to provide context, because that's a lot of what was lacking when the mailers and the robocalls and other things were coming out. So it started with the idea that we have serious financial problems in the city. It's not a budgetary issue, it's, it's a financial crisis that's been going on for a number of years and it's been building, I think, first reached ahead in 2015 when the candidate said, well, we're gonna raise property taxes as a last resort find ways to cut and hopefully Springfield bails us out. Well, Springfield didn't bail us out. Um, the cuts that were happening were closing schools, mental health clinics, and the property tax increases came immediately after because they knew that was what essentially they had planned for because they didn't have a plan B, C, D when pension reform at the state level was struck down. And so when you look at that and you see over the next four years, we're going to have by the end of 2023, a billion dollar budget gap that's attributable just to pensions. We start off the campaign saying that you can't fill that largely or solely with property taxes the way that we did in 2015 or other regressive sources of revenue. So you have to identify a suite of progressive options, talk about it openly, talk about it consistently, because that's how you sensitize folks so that you can go to city council and say, one, we're doing a better job of oversight. We're using your resources more efficiently, but 
additional revenue is going to be needed. Needed. We don't want to lie to you. We don't want to pander and then have you come another six, eight, 12 months later, say, hey, you said no new taxes, mm-hmm. but that's what you voted for. Oh, yeah, but I wanted your vote then, and now it's different. So yeah. we wanted to run a really honest campaign to start sensitizing people to the fact that pain was coming, but we can talk about how that looks and kind of the shared sacrifice that all of us should take. So we talked with a lot of progressive budgetary experts, and we identified about a dozen different things that we could do, one of which was a progressive city income tax. And the specific idea we had around that was that it would be offset by reducing property taxes. So if really we want to structurally change the way we bring in revenue, not mm-hmm. pinching middle and low income individuals out of our ward, um, that that you have to do something bold. But that, that was one of a number of options. And that's the one thing that, um, that our opponent um, kind of seized on in the room. Uh, his opponent was a gentleman named Michael DeGrone and seized on it. He did. I, I have here uh, in my suitcase uh, one of the flyers, many flyers that he sent out. Um, I, my suitcase, my it's backpack. A sharp suitcase you got there. <laughs> Looks like a backpack. I said a suitcase, man. I said suitcase. Uh, I haven't had a suitcase in my entire life. But anyway, uh, I have here in my backpack uh, one of the flyers uh, he sent out uh, where they, they they took a picture of you that looked like a mug shot and essentially uh, said, uh, Matt Martin wants to raise your taxes. Drive the middle class out of Chicago. They took Jake Lowe. I said, I won't be paying attention to this one. They took all the rhetoric that Bruce Rauner used against J.B. Pritzker when he was a candidate advancing the the concept, just the way you, Matt, the concept of a graduated uh, income tax, a progressive income tax. They took that same uh, Rauner rhetoric and used it against you, uh, a Democrat, a Democrat using it against a Democrat. Uh, and I was, that's why I was fuming because how can we advance pro- these ideas that like Jake Lewis was just articulating are so important to the well-being of the city, the well-being of the state, the well-being of the country, if we ourselves and our Democratic Party, just to get elected to the aldermanic seat in the 47th Ward, are willing to degrade the integrity of these very arguments that are sort of like the cornerstone of what the Democratic Party represents. Don't you think? There's something tremendously wrong with that? I do, because when you think about the fact that the challenges that we're facing right now, they're, they're not new. We saw this four years ago, and it's been building up for a long while. And you think, okay, who do the who's hurt most by our current policies, especially our budgetary policies, when you talk about school closings, when you talk about increasing the fees on water delivery, garbage collection, ticketing thousands of residents into bankruptcy. That hurts, and and we've seen this in terms of the exodus in parts of our city. It's disproportionately low-income communities of color, especially black youth. And so when we talk about what it means to be a Democrat, a progressive, a liberal, what leaning left generally, it means in part asking people who can contribute to pay their fair share and that's the exact opposite of how we've set stuff up and to jake's point earlier when you have a state where we have a flat income tax and that more than almost any other state we ask localities to kick in um, for education and other things that means that we're really grasping at straws and we're grasping at regressive things but part of what we need to start doing and i think that's why i'm so hopeful about the opportunities that we have here on city council and city government is to not just look at the next budget in the fall, but start planning 
two, four, eight years out and say, how do we want to restructure things so we both can keep Chicago improving, but making sure that it's not a continued fracturing of like a tale of two cities, that it's working for everybody so that you have more of a middle class, like really moving back into the city so we don't have this mass exodus that we've had since the 1970s. Well, one of the interesting things is that you not only won, but you won decisively, which I, let's just pause folks and talk about the 47th Ward. It's a relatively uh, upscale, well-to-do ward uh predominantly white and it's it's rom's home ward went for rom in the last election i forget how many uh percentage points uh rom was supporting your opponent michael de rom's old pack was funding those flyers uh and you won with like 62 or 63 percent of the vote so it was a decisive victory from an upscale ward that you would think would be hostile uh to the points of view that you were raising Talk about that. Yeah, I think that when you provide people with context and you talk with them about shared values, if we start by saying we want to expand affordability, we want fully funded schools, we want a police department that has the resources to work with people, and then say, okay, how do we structure that? People oftentimes would say, I'm willing to contribute more, regardless of how much or little I have, if I feel that there's more, I have more faith in government. And so I think that those sorts of attacks weren't successful because when we were building the campaign, we, we had well over 200 people who were knocking on doors, doing phone calls for us. We did, we knocked on over 125,000 doors. We built up a report, we built up a relationship with so many folks where we had so many more people reach out and say, I got these flyers, I got this call. It doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something missing here. Can you explain this? As opposed to someone just calling and saying, you just lost my vote, Matt. And I think that's that's really, the, the the take one of the big takeaways for me for our campaign where we were outspent significantly in the first round and the runoff but we were able to do well because we built a a real movement within the ward it was people powered it wasn't just about who could raise the most money well all right now let me uh, ask you this question since you are replacing mayor Puar, i'm going to talk a little bit of my uh uh relationship with Amaya Puar. I fell in love with Amaya Puar, politically speaking. When he ran for office, he was uh, uh, advancing all these great progressive ideas and ideals that I believed in. He said he's gonna blow up the TIF program. Here we are eight years later. The TIF program is as live and as strong as it can possibly be. Yesterday, there was a showdown vote on Lincoln Yards in the 78, $2.3 billion are gonna go to those programs. Everything that Amaya Puar was running for <laughs> 2011, uh, running against in 2011 is still very much alive uh here we are in 2019 so matt martin uh i'm now facing another a very young intelligent ambitious uh politician just got elected with full of ideals why is th are things going to be different now for an old goat like me uh, an old progressive like me why why should anybody believe in the future of chicago politics uh given <laughs> the most recent past look outside the ward i mean may is one of 50 aldermen that's one vote and so you saw that he and a number of others i think about 12 or 13 for lincoln yards in 73 voted against that so then you look at okay Lori versus Rom. um that hopefully will be a big improvement when you look at folks like maria haddon 
taking down Joe Moore, Andre Vasquez taking down Pat O'Connor. We need to build coalitions. We, we can't just focus on the one person who's representing our ward to fix even things that seem like hyper-local issues. It demands citywide solutions, which means city council needs to come together. And so my, my hope and expectation is part of what it means to bring good people to city council is that we're going to be building those relationships. And, and we're going to lose some votes, but hopefully we win a lot more than we lose. And that especially picks up momentum um, you know over over after this year and the next when people who might have been voting in favor of those developments or other things that we're, we're not supporting say oh actually there is a new political space there's an opportunity for me to talk to my residents and say here's why for example aldermanic prerogative isn't good for us because not every ward gets a 78 a Lincoln Yards and even if they do it doesn't benefit the majority of the people who need that help all right, that's Matt Martin, the newly elected alderman of the 47th Ward. Jake Lewis is patiently sitting here as well. When we come back, we're going to broaden the conversation. Uh, we're going to make Jake uh, show how much he learned from that homework assignment I gave him. <laughs> Matt's going to be right. taking notes, uh, and we're going to have a larger conversation about the future of the Democratic Party as we head into 2020. Stick around, everybody. <laughs> If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. At C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's Dark Side. It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Man, I love that song. You know, uh, Matt Martin recently elected alderman of 47th Ward, said he played the sax. He goes, Ben, you know, I also play a little piano. We put him on that keyboard right there. That's Matt Martin, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, yeah. God dang, they teach those kids in Arizona how to play music, huh? <laughs> 
All right. Matt Martin is not playing the piano. Uh, we have Matt Martin in the studio, 47th Ward. Jake Lewis in the studio, Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh, uh, Jake had his homework assignment. He had to read the article. Turns out I had a copy of the article in the studio. Matt has done his homework. He's dutifully read the article. <laughs> I'm going to make Dennis read the article. Uh, get Matt to me in here and read that article. Before we get to, uh, to a discussion of the future of the Democratic Party, Based on that article, what you got for me, young man? It's a New York Times article, right? That is correct, Senator. Uh, words are too big for my community <laughs> college brain. All right. Huh? <laughs> All right. So we have some uh, comments to read okay. uh, from the uh, YouTube live stream chat. Okay. By the way, Ben, way to turn the page there from uh, Maya Pawar onto uh, your next. There you go. That's the theme today, guys. Turn, turn the, the page. page yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, Matt, get ready here. We have some uh, a comment and a question here. All right. All right uh, first off, I believe this person's name is Mitchie Based God. <laughs> I, guess. I think he went to high school with that kid. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Mitchie based? <laughs> Mitchie based God. Yeah. Uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, puts here Matt Martin calling people himself to talk policy. This guy lives in the 47th Ward, by the way. Yeah. Or her. Um, calling people himself to talk policy and find out what people's biggest concerns were and his stance on it played a big role in his victory. Congratulations on a big win. All right. A Great. fan, man. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And then Steven. We've gotten to know Steven pretty well today. It's the first time he's joined the live stream chat. He sent like 80 messages. Thanks, Steven. You're awesome. Seriously, you're great. Uh, Steven writes, hey, Ben, can you ask the alderman elect about affordable housing? I'm from the 47th, and the changes I've seen are troubling. How can he bring in the thousands of affordable units we need? Oh, I. that is a great question. Uh, and I know Matt Martin will be returning uh, to this show, Stephen, to discuss this at greater length. A lot of the aldermen will do because this is a huge issue. Uh, totally links to that TIF vote. I know it's supposed to turn the page of the TIF, but absolutely, we're driving up the cost of housing in the city of Chicago when we subsidize, when we use property tax dollars to subsidize the uh, construction of upscale housing. We make First of all, we drive up property taxes, so that's going to make Chicago less affordable. Absolutely. Uh, so as briefly as you can, Matt, address that issue uh, that Stephen just raised. Yeah, I think there are two ways to think about it. One is what you can do unilaterally as the alderman. It's something like uh, making sure that when you have transit-oriented development, which we have a lot of in our ward because we have a lot of transit stops, insisting that a higher percentage, not the current 10%, be, be affordable. Mm -hmm. um, it means that you remove the ban on non-conforming units so that granny flats, coach houses are something that people can bring back, um, especially for those multi-generational families who want to live in a single residence. Um, but then really when what we're missing is a more comprehensive policy at the city level. So if we had a Department of Planning and Development that wasn't just around development specifically, um, these one-off uh, uh, real estate transactions, but instead say, we want to take into account like all the various policies, some of which will work in the 47th Ward, some in the 40th Ward, some in the 5th Ward, because that's not something that we can do unilaterally. When you talk about property taxes, increasingly pricing renters and homeowners out of the area, there's only so much that one good alderman or woman can do. Yeah, maybe if we do get the, uh, this is, I, I almost can't believe this is coming out of my mouth as I say it, Jake Lewis, but maybe if we do get a fair tax, if we do get higher rates and the wealth to do, God forbid, if we got a, a corporate, uh, I mean, a city income tax that uh, on the well to do, maybe they'll put a, uh, less strain on the property tax and make the city uh, more affordable as well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think all of these conversations uh, about different changes to the tax system are, are really built upon the same basic idea, which is that 
the way that taxes work in the state are fundamentally unfair, and it's hamstringing our ability to provide social services and education and affordable housing and these other initiatives that the people really want. And so we've got to find a way to make the system more fair. Um, and I think that's where the, this conversation is being driven from. And I, I think hopefully we're going to see some solutions in the next couple of years. All right. We have any more updates there, D? Or you? Uh, I was. We got the audio from Mayor Rahm's final uh, city council speech. You guys want to talk more, and then we'll play that. All right, we'll talk a little. I'll raise the topic that they dutifully did their homework for, and this has been on my mind. Uh, probably be talking about this uh, more as the week goes on. Uh, the article it was ran, I ran in yesterday's New York Times. Uh, it talked about, well, a poll, I think it was, uh, doing this from memory, I don't have the story in front of me, uh, that essentially identified uh, two different uh, factions, if you will, in the Democratic Party, or two different groups in the mm-hmm. Democratic Party, let's put it that way. Uh, people who are really involved on the internet, uh, that do tweets and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, really involved in social media, and people who are not. And what they discovered uh, in their survey is that the people, the Democrats who are really involved in social media uh, tend to be uh, of the more progressive persuasion uh, to the left, if Mm -hmm. you will, Uh, and that the people who don't get involved are more centrist or to the in the terms of the Democratic Party, a little to the right on the in the terms of the Democratic Party. Uh, And so. The issue is that the people who are really active on social media are sort of driving the conversation by their participation in social media and moving the Democratic Party perhaps a little more to the left uh, than the population as a whole. Uh, and it has implications for 2020. Interesting article in the New York Times. So I'll start with you, Jake Lewis, since you were the first person I required to read this. I did my and homework. You did your homework, and Matt did his as well. So what's your general thoughts uh, on, on the argument advancing the story? I've got, I've got two things that, that really popped into my mind after reading the article. I mean, the, the first is, and this is something that you know, I've had conversations with about with a number of people about in the past, Twitter is not real life. I mean, it, it just isn't. Facebook is not real life. I mean, the, the people who are active, who are engaged, who are driving the conversation on social media platforms are not and have not been representative of the electorate, the state, the country as a whole. I mean, that, that, that's been true for a while. Um, so when you're seeing these conversations driven on Twitter, um, start to seep into broader mainstream media, it, it's not surprising that they're coming from a more ideological, a more uh, extreme place in terms of the, the partisanship. However, um, on the other hand, I mean, the, the idea that a small group of activists, um, of party regulars, of very uh, engaged people is driving a political party in a certain direction. I mean, th- this is nothing new, right? That This has been around from before the advent of social media. So I think what you're seeing is uh, it happening quicker, it happening faster because the news cycle is so short um, and because information can spread so quickly. Um, and you know, Twitter especially is a place for influencers, for media members, for legislators, for lobbyists, for activists. And so there's a, a shorter distance between an idea or a news clip or a photo or a, uh, an audio clip uh, popping up on Twitter. Uh, being disseminated through the the, the Twitter ecosystem uh, and then making its way into the party apparatus. Mm. Yeah. I, so I, I have the article in front of me and some of the things, like the quotes that they have from Twitter, um, Medicare for all, um, Kavanope, 
uh, reference to, to justice <laughs> now kavanaugh yeah. green new deal yeah. go aoc tax the one percent um i mean this is just the language of activism i think these are things that there's a, a very uh, deep breadth of knowledge and research around why this would be beneficial for cities like chicago states like illinois and our entire country so i i think to jake's point there are people who are activists using different mediums mediums as newspaper i mean i think a lot of what's going on in Twitter is wonderful journalists like yourself, um, like continuing to start a conversation, educate voters. Um, so I, I, I think that that's generally healthy. So even if this is like descriptively what's what's going on, assuming this stuff is correct, normatively, I don't see this as being a, a bad thing. The one other point that I would make real quick is if you look at the way that they broke down this polling, one of the things they found is that people who do not engage in social media generally do not follow the news as often and yeah. find themselves to be less engaged in politics. So to uh, Alderman-elect Martin's point here, um, people who are reading the research reports, looking at policy, engaged in the electoral process, engaged in the legislative process, those people are more likely to be on Twitter. And so... It isn't necessarily a bad thing that those ideas are driving the party forward because those are the people who are more engaged. Yeah. Um, bridging that divide, I think, is is going to be a, a tricky thing, especially for 2020 candidates. Um, but I think you know that's a challenge that if you want to be president, you need to meet these days. By the way, one more time, I'll say this. I've been talking about this for a while tonight uh, in the 47th Ward at the Davis Theater. They'll be airing a, a, a documentary about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think it's called Bring Down the House. I think that's what it's called. I always screw up the title. It's it, it's a behind the scenes look at her campaign uh, and how she was able to uh, pull out that victory. And she has become, of course, uh, a very public face for your generation, Matt, of Democrats. She's roughly your age, a little younger. Uh, and uh, do you you we just talked about how you were triumphant. Uh, in the face of a withering Republican-style attack on you on, on, on your progressive um, platform, uh, do you think that your generation, the, the Ocasio-Cortezes, are too left for the country as a whole, or do you think they're bringing the country to the left? Definitely the latter. I don't, I don't think that we're bad, because when we're talking about things that are shared values that the wide, uh, a big majority of people, whether you're talking about city, state, or country that they share, I think that that's a good thing. And a lot of what we're doing is saying, we're not just gonna have um, taglines. I mean, it's great if you have a hashtag that goes viral, but we have support behind this. And so if people say, uh, I, I'm feeling priced out of my neighborhood, and I can't, I can't afford to do X, Y, and Z, my schools are chronically underfunded, well, here are some solutions that we're providing and they're the powers that be that are invested in the status quo. I mean, to your point earlier, saying that if you live in a really wealthy school district that generally is under tax, but you still are able to hoard lots of resources because there's a disproportionate number of high income individuals around there, that works if you're in that community. But if you can't afford to be in there, which the majority of people can, it's not working. And so I think that that's good. And you also hear people always decry how people like millennials, people under 30 aren't getting active in politics, but when you see people who are of that age, that they're succeeding and they're talking to not just people in their generation, but all across the age spectrum, then there's some problem there. Like, wait your turn. I, 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 there's some dissonance. There. I completely agree with that point. You can't have it two ways. You can't blame millennials for not voting and they get mad when they do vote. You know, well, I didn't like the person you <laughs> elected. You know, well, 
what do you think about that, Jake? I mean, uh, the one thing you know, I think I would add to that is that it's important to remember, especially on Twitter, but with all of these social media um, ecosystems, is that there is. Uh, a population that is interested in discussing and advocating for policy or, or politicians, elected officials, et cetera. And then there's a population that is just trolling. Uh, and when I say trolling, they're just stirring up trouble for the sake of stirring up trouble. So there's no meat on the bone when it comes to what they're actually advocating for. There's no, excuse me, there are no solutions to the problems that they're facing. They're just trying to get people mad. Um, and so I think when you're thinking about these, uh, when you're thinking about these social media sites, especially if you don't participate in them, sometimes the tr- just the trolling uh, uh, group gets an outsized influence, and then people at large just think that these sites are full of, you know, racist. Um, uh, hateful speech. Uh, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, there, there's definitely a component that is, but there's a lot of serious, interesting policy ideas that are flying around. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All right. Uh, now, before I let you guys leave, D, you got uh, some a bit from Mayor Rahm? Absolutely. You're just talking about the trolling thing. Shout out to our friends at the Illinois Policy Institute. But oh, yeah. They <laughs> love trolling. They're big into that. <laughs> yeah, Boy, are they trolling. big into that. All right, everybody. We laughed. We cried. Hearts were touched. (laughs) Wednesday was Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's final city council meeting, and Rahm took to the podium to give one last speech. Yes, he did here. The following, just a recap here for those who just may have tuned in. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran and the Woe Man Spielman. Inside the city council chambers, there is a deep appreciation and love for a mayor who may someday be better appreciated than he is today. <laughs> the city council okay. paid emotional tribute <laughs> yeah. to the retiring mayor and Emmanuel choked back his own tears in return. For two hours, allies and adversaries praised a mayor who came in like a lion with a reputation built in Washington for profanity and hardball politics and left as their devoted friend. Uh, we read the quotes from the alderman. Uh, Ed Burke was in there. Yeah, let's hear from his opinion there. But no, we're <laughs> going to go uh, play the audio now. We have six clips uh, well, from Mayor Rahm's final speech here. Uh, Jake Lewis, Matt Martin, feel free to weigh in. Here we go here. We're going to start right. with clip number one from Mayor Rahm's speech. There is no finish line in the race for progress. Our job and our responsibility is to do the best we can to leave the things better when we walk out the door than they were when we walked in the door, and then to pass the torch. That was clip one. That was clip one. Yeah, uh, there is no finish line in the race for progress. Matt Martin, what do you think of that? We're really lacking in progress. <laughs> that about says it all. Uh, I mean, well, let's let's have that. Let's accelerate the pace at which we're moving towards that finish line. That's, that's okay. <laughs> and I'm wondering what finish line he's talking about. You know, nice night. And uh, uh, Mitch, Mitchy Base God, if you're still listening, I'm sorry. She put on here in the live stream chat. I'd rather hear Trump make that windmill sound for an hour than never hear Rom again. Just talk about this. <laughs> Trying to hear that. That's our president, lady. That's the sound of Donald Trump. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you heard that. Donald Trump, that's his imitation of a windmill. That's literally Donald Trump to it. All right, let's get another Matt. Uh, excuse me, another Rahm in there for Matt to respond to. That last response was so good. All right. So it's my last city council meeting as mayor. On May 18th in 2011, I said, and I quote, We have difficult things to do, but I believe that by working together, being honest with each other, and facing the choices we have to face, we can handle these challenges because in every one of these challenges are opportunities. 
the opportunities to do the big things for the people who elected us. Mm, that's a famous Ron. That oppor- challenge, opportunities and challenge. You usually phrases a little different. You can take advantage of a crisis. That's the you know, when you usually say, "Oh, there's a crisis. I'll take advantage of it to get something done." Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, being honest with each other, Matt Martin. You think he's been honest as a mayor of the city of Chicago? Well, I think collectively, city government has has missed repeatedly the opportunity to be honest in terms of one identifying the scope of the challenges and then two proposing solutions that reflect the scope to those challenges all right i agree with that one too all right i like this new alderman all right all right that's your alderman so that's, <laughs> that's good alderman, yeah i like the old alderman too the first term we were a little rocky but we got along in the second oh, man, term get ready for obnoxious calls <laughs> at all hours. At midnight <laughs> okay man all right so let's continue here here is uh part three not only are our city finances on a firmer footing than they were eight years ago But as we can see, Chicago's fiscal condition is no longer a drag or a threat to the economic growth and job creation happening in every part of this city. Not only is crime falling, a credit to the leadership of Superintendent Johnson and his team and their community partners, but the Chicago Police Department is on the path to earning the trust of every community in Chicago and undergoing reforms that will stand the test of time. Not only is Chicago's decades-long battle with Springfield for fair funding for our children and our schools over, but Chicago's students are making our city proud and showing the whole world what is possible with record high graduation rates and unparalleled academic achievement. All right. Uh, We'll just uh, start with that. Since I have you here, Matt, and you uh, did so much work on uh, police issues, uh, do you agree with uh, Rom that we're uh, heading in a better direction right now? in terms of the police's relationship with uh, particularly the black community? A little bit, but I think that it's important to look at the entire tenure because it was something where the relationship between various communities and the police department was worsening, Mm -hmm. um, that the cost of police misconduct judgments and settlements was steadily rising. And so are things better today than they were um, when the Laquan McDonald murder video came out, perhaps by some measurements, but to do a, a, a victory lap or, or to tout that as a major success, I think really misses, okay, well, how much better is it than 2011 or 2012? And mm. that, that becomes hairier. And uh, to add to that point, to do a victory lap uh, over whatever improvements have happened since the Laquan McDonald video was released, let's just point out folks, Mayor Rahm, vigorously resisted releasing uh, that video. It took a um, a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit and a very courageous Cook County judge ruled against the mayor uh, to force him to uh, uh, release that video. Everything changed, Matt Martin, from the moment that Rahm Emanuel was forced to release that video. Everything changed, in my humble opinion, in the city of Chicago and led to the point where Lori Lightfoot is mayor today. Yeah, and I think that also when when Donald Trump won, because we were on a path where the Obama DOJ had come in, done a very courageous, a very necessary report that was 160 pages, outlined using 20 pages what those next steps were, top to bottom reform, training, supervision, accountability, officer mental health and wellness. And then when Donald Trump comes in with, with Jeff Sessions, they say, we actually think it's the police officers that, that um, are under threat here. And so the administration was initially 
working towards a, a memorandum of understanding to say we're going to reform ourselves and only if we get things wrong will you department of justice under session step in but you're thinking well, you already know what they're going to say which is everything is fine there's no problem here so i think it's a real credit to um grassroots efforts also former attorney general lisa madigan to step in and say well this this just isn't going to work this city has repeatedly shown it's the government itself is incapable of reforming the police department so i think that's something that always needs to be underscored one last tape come on all right everybody here oh by the way yes we are in overtime oh uh, yeah overtime we are overtime all right on the podcast. we usually into three we're a podcast we can go longer <laughs> yeah. if we want to you said you want one more clip one more one more all right well first let me read uh some comments here uh steven really nails it here steven by the way dude Please weigh in on the live chat more often, buddy. You're killing it today, man. Steven says, one day when everyone in society is a rich developer, we will remember Rom much more fondly. <laughs> Good thing McNamee's not in the room to hear that one. Oh, he'd be raging right now. Oh, McNamee, <laughs> calm love, down. He loves Rom. Oh, my God. Calm down, McNamee. Tommy Mac. All right, so we'll do one more here. We'll do his final one. Just let me grab it real quick, everybody. Right, yeah, if you just tuned in, we're playing. Um, well, you're really late on the show, but we're playing uh, Mayor Rom's final city council speech. Uh, we'll play the final one here. Here we, here we go. go. One more. One more for Matt. Today, Martin. in my last council meeting as mayor, it is the words of another baseball great that rang in my ear. 80 years ago, Lou Gehrig said, Today I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Let me be clear, our work is not finished. I am in this job for another month, and if you know me, which you do, you know that I will make the most of every hour of every day from here to the end. But on this occasion of our last council meeting together, allow me to say that the opportunity to serve with you, to serve the people of the city of Chicago, the greatest city in the greatest country on earth, the most American of American cities, has truly been the highest honor of my career. And because of that, today, I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Thank you. All right, everyone loves him. All right, Ron, please, just no more. No more running through the tape. All right, the Lincoln Yards deal was you're running through the tape. That's not a great deal. You're leaving us with a huge hole in the budget we're going to have to fill. So no more running through the tape. Just quietly. Go on to Italy. He's going to Italy, isn't he? He's going to Italy. Go to Italy, all right? Let Lori Lightfoot, poor Lori. Matt Martin, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that 23-year tiff. You, the alderman, are going to have to deal with the consequences of Rom running through the tape. He left you with two huge chunks of tax-exempt land in some of the most valuable corners of the city of Chicago for 23 years. They're not going to get a nickel of new property taxes from Lincoln Yards or the 78. How in the world are you guys going to work around that uh, and raise the money you need for the obligations that we face? It's not going to be easy. They're, they're just, there are no silver bullets, and this has been something that's been we've seen coming for a long while now. And so I, I don't think that there's any sort of uh, gift that's been left to the new council or to the new mayor. But I think it's it, you just continue to do the things that you were campaigning on and, and to be honest, to be consistent and to, to build a big tent so that people can both um, help support you, but also hold you accountable because we just can't afford to have another eight years um, of, of what we've seen. All right. Very good. That is a Matt Martin Alderman elect of the 47th Ward, Jake Lewis from the Chicago Federation of Labor uh, was so kind to sit in as well. 
Uh, Tommy McNamee, the great Tom McNamee, was here Tommy earlier. <laughs> early in the show with a vigorous uh, debate with me on Rahm Emanuel. I, I thought was, I was going to separate you two. <laughs> it was all good. It was all good. Uh, and uh, so it was a delightful show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the boards, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Yes, indeed. No, they don't. Dr. <laughs> D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, live streamers, remember, you can download today's show if you missed any. ChicagoReader.com, Chicago.SunTimes.com. And give me about uh, 45 minutes, an hour. I'll have it up there on the page. Hey, downloaders, did you know we live stream the show? Yeah, we do. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Chicago.SunTimes.com. It's on the YouTube channel. You'll find the link there. ChicagoReader.com as well. Join us, won't you? And be like our live uh, chatters here. By the way, live stream chatters, you guys were awesome. Let's keep this up. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Tomorrow.